Louie, I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Rose? Where we're going, we don't need Rose. I am your father. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. You're listening to After the Ending, the only film podcast where we tell you what happens after the ending of your favorite films. And now, here are your hosts, Mike Spring and Phil Edwards. Hello and welcome to After the Ending. I'm Mike Spring. And I'm Phil Edwards. And Phil, my friend, this is a big episode. Yeah, we've made it. We have made it to episode 141. Yes, we have. We have. (laughs) (laughs) Which is, as we all know, when it comes to podcasting, episode 141 is like the milestone. It's like, this is, this is, hey, we've made it now, you know? We're real. We're 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 now going to be syndicated on all the networks. Right, exactly. But everybody knows that that 141 is the is the magic number, right? <laughs> yes, but uh, do you want to explain for some new listeners who might be a bit confused? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So this is our hundredth episode, which we're really excited about because when we started this, uh, you know, almost three years ago now, it seemed very, very far away that we would get to that point. And in, in the podcast world, episode 100 is kind of is considered a big milestone. Not that it means that you've made it, but it just it means that you're really committed to creating something every week and putting it out every yeah, week. Yeah. Uh, the reason I say it's episode 141 is because we've done 41 mini episodes, which are the you know short episodes we air on weeks when we, you know, scheduling or, or holidays or vacations or things like that. So while it's our 141st recorded episode or recorded nugget, it is our 100th full proper after the ending episode. And gosh, darn it, that's pretty exciting. It certainly is. It really is. It's it's unbelievable to be honest. I just uh, I I'm still it's it's been a long, strange, fun, bizarre journey, and I've loved every minute of it. It has it has been that all those things and more. I think, and we haven't even begun to peak. We've still got so much more. Yeah, that's right. This is just this is just the you know the first chapter. But uh, you know, we thought well, we want to do something special for our hundredth episode, and so in in regards to that, we are going to tackle two of the biggest movies of all time. I think they are the two biggest movies of all time. Yeah, and then. We're going to share our top 20 films of all time, which is a long time coming and was a mammoth project to put together. Oh, it was so tough to do. It really was. Uh, before we talk about that, Phil, tell people what movies we're going to go after the endings of tonight. Yeah, we're going full on Jimmy Cameron for this one. because That's right. Because we're going after the ending of Titanic and Avatar. Uh, and I know that the kind of films which people either love or hate, but they're the two biggest earning films of all time. Both made over $2 billion dollars which is fantastic. Yeah, I mean, they're just, they were pop culture juggernauts in their day, and there's there's just no denying that, you know? And uh, and I know t- Titanic sort of breaks one of our rules in that we, we don't do films based on true stories, but since this was a film based on a true story, but it followed f- fictional characters, then we figure that, you know, obviously gives us a little leeway. So, uh, you know, that that's that's kind of how we're skirting that. Route. And it's our, it's our podcast. We can change the rules if need be. That's right. We can do whatever the heck we want. But, you know, certain films, it's harder to do. Like Apollo 13 would be tricky because, you know, there's it's it's a very realistic-based film. And, and you know, it's it, we know kind of where these guys went and what they did afterwards. In this movie, because these characters are, are made up, we can do whatever we want with them. We're not contradicting any actual history. So so why not? Yeah, it's uh, it should be should be interesting. Interesting. Hopefully, it'll be entertaining as well. I think so. 
And then we're going to do our top 20 films of all time. And this is basically, you know, we've kind of gone through, as, as hopefully you've been listening, you know, we've done every week, we've done our 100 years of Hollywood in 100 episodes, where we take a year from the past century of Hollywood and share our top 10 films. And so this is the culmination of that list, all those lists. It's, it's us boiling it down and trying to pin a number on where our favorite films fall on that list of one through 20 it could have easily been one through 50 am i wrong phil oh yeah could have been it could could have just gone on and on it's just it was uh, a <laughs> right it was it was so tricky to narrow it down and then to put it in an order that makes yes. sense yes it was i'm sure be people agreeing with the films we've got on our list but they probably won't necessarily agree with the order we've got them in but that's the way it goes so yeah and i think that there's probably going to be some omissions there's definitely some films i had to leave off my list that that really hurt to leave off and i'm like how can i not put this in there it's one of my favorite films but you know it's hard when you have more than 20 favorite films to to, to include everything so i'm sure there's gonna be people saying what how could you not put you know this movie <laughs> on there it's the best movie ever but yeah. you know there's just there's only so many spaces on there so uh, that's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to take a slightly different approach to it as well so that we're not just repeating ourselves from things we've already said about these films. Uh, but we're going to get to that in a little bit. Before we do, though, let's get to our endings, shall we, Phil? Yes, uh, let's uh, let's get busy with a bit of James Cameron. Do you want to kick things off with a rundown of what happens in Titanic? Absolutely. Spoiler alert, the ship sinks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, so uh, the story goes, in the film at least, in 1996, treasure hunter Brock Lovett, would, and boy, if that isn't a treasure hunter name, if I've oh, ever yeah. heard that, one. That's the only thing you could do with right. a name like that. Exactly. You're not going to be yeah. a judge. You know yeah, the I mean? career advisor goes, you know, what's your name? Brock Lovett, right? Treasure hunter. Right, exactly. So Brock Lovett is searching the wreck of the Titanic for a valuable necklace called the Heart of the Ocean. He recovers a safe, which has a drawing in it of a woman and the necklace instead. Then we flash back to the Titanic on its maiden voyage, where we meet young Rose DeWitt Bucator, played by Kate Winslet, as well as lovable ne'er-do-well Jack Dawson, played by Leonardo DiCaprio, who's a penniless artist, and Rose's cold fiancé, Cal Hartley, played by the one and only Billy Zane. Special side note there, I have long been looking for a way to work the word ne'er-do-well into one of my endings, and <laughs> you know, or at least a rundown, and now I finally got that chance. It's a good word. I like yeah. that word. Doesn't get used enough. No, no. Uh, meanwhile, Rose and Jack fall in love. The ship hits an iceberg, and it sinks. Rose survives by pretty much hogging a piece of wreckage that probably oh, yeah. could have It was have a fit. big door. It was a big bloody door. <laughs> yeah. Her and Jack both, although I have heard people say that the buoyancy wouldn't have been enough to hold them both up. Well, you but. take turns. Yeah, right. So uh, she lives, he dies, he freezes to death in the water instead. Uh, upon rescue in New York, Rose gives her name as Rose Dawson. That's Jack's last name, for those of you who weren't paying attention. Uh, <laughs> we learn that Cal survived, but he killed himself in the stock market crash of 1929. Back in 1996, we learn that Rose had the necklace all along. She drops it into the ocean and dies peacefully in her sleep. And we see through her photos that she lived a life full of adventure, just like Jack promised her. The film ends with young Jack and Rose reuniting on the staircase of the Titanic, presumably in the afterlife. And that's Titanic. Yeah, and goddamn, when she drops that jewel, you're just thinking, why the hell did you do that? If you didn't want it, <laughs> give it to the, the you know the treasure hunter who's been seeking. Give it, it all to Brock. Life. Love it. Yeah, yeah. Ah, oh. <laughs> she didn't have to do yeah, that. Well, it was it was symbolic. It was romantic. Yes. Come on. What? Romantic to who? <laughs> to the other necklace that's lying at the bottom of the ocean that's been waiting oh, for a soulmate its entire life. I didn't know it was a pair. You see Matching that? Pair. Yeah. There's another oh. one down there. It's called the Heart of the Sky. 
Wow. So it was all and actually a love story between two jewels. Two necklaces. Boy, if I had thought of that, I would have yeah. made my whole after the ending about two necklaces. Damn it, yeah. That would have been so cool. Uh, missed opportunities. Oh. All right. So that's Titanic. Uh, Phil, why don't you go ahead and take us into your day after? Okay. Cal Hartley didn't know what to do. He lost all his money in the Wall Street crash, and now he stood on a bridge looking down at the Hudson River. He'd left a note and nobody had seen him leave. He thought back to when it had all been good, to before he'd boarded that damn ship and had his beautiful rose stolen by that lowly urchin Jack. Along at the water below, Cal laughed. He was no better off than Jack had been. How the mighty had fallen, he thought. It started to snow. He looked at the water. That's my day after. Interesting. All right, a little dark. Mm. I have to say, I'm a little... I don't know if concerned is the word, but I also start my ending off following Cal, which I think is kind of oh, a strange kidding. coincidence. No, of all, of all characters to focus on, uh, I also chose to start with Cal. So that's interesting. I hope we're not yes. going in the same direction here. Yeah, so the, for, for listeners, you might have seen us because it's episode 100 and gone, hmm, what's this? Uh, we've mentioned before, but neither Mike or myself know what the other one's written. So any similarities are purely coincidental and no animals are harmed during the production <laughs> of this podcast. That's right. Okay, well, we'll, we'll see what happens, this, I guess. This is going to be interesting. I thought picking him, I was going, yeah, there's no way. There's no way Michael's done this. <laughs> I thought the same thing. Damn it. We're so, we're so in sync. <laughs> All right. Well, I think I think I hopefully went in a different direction than you did, but but we'll see. There may be some minor similarities in the beginning. It'd be a matter of it's exactly the same. <laughs> <laughs> right. So go on, hit it. Go on. What's going on with All your right. day after? Well, Cal was mad. He was mad at Rose. After the Titanic sank, Cal could never find her again, and she'd driven him to misery. He knew that she survived the sinking. He caught a glimpse of her in New York, where the survivors were taken, but he couldn't find her. In the 15 years since the sinking, he'd had an army of private detectives searching for Rose DeWitt Bucator, but they always came up empty. And with every year that went by, Cal got madder and madder. As he fumed for the umpteenth time about Rose and how she never came back to him, the phone rang. It was one of his men. Sir, we found her, the man said on the other end of the line. Cal took the details and then slammed the phone down with triumph. He was going to get Rose back whether she liked it or not. Just then, a stack of dollar bills he was counting was suddenly carried by a strong draft out the window. A few of the bills stuck to the outer glass, and Cal reached out to grab them. But there was a small puddle of water on the floor, and Cal slipped, falling 13 stories to his death. Suicide indeed. And that's where we're going to leave it for now. Oh, okay. Interesting. Mm. So maybe we're going in different directions. Well, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, then go ahead and give us your immediate aftermath. Let's hear it. Okay. Cal Hartley was dead. Long live Cal Brigman. Cal had not jumped into the Hudson. He had faked his death. He called in a report that Cal Hartley had shot himself or jumped off a bridge. Numerous reports of different newspapers. And some of them had picked it up and ran with it. So now the world and the history books would say... Cal Hartley was dead. Cal had then travelled west, working in small towns, and he did any job he could find, and he often slept rough. The months travelling like this and meeting people in similar situations slowly changed Cal. He realised what an idiot and a terrible person he'd been. It was during a warm evening as he sat in front of a campfire, watching the sun go down, that Cal had an epiphany. The way he had acted and treated Rose is what had pushed her away. Jack and Rose had done nothing wrong, and had both lost their lives when the Titanic had sank. Cal had survived that terrible tragedy, but it was only now, years later, that he realised how precious that gift had been. He had done terrible things, but he vowed to be a better person and help others. And that's my immediate aftermath. All right, we're definitely going in different directions, and that's good news. Oh, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that was my immediate aftermath. What's going on with yours after Cal fell to his death? Well, Cal tried everything he could to kill Rose. 
Even though he was dead, his spirit had lingered on the earthly plane, as do all spirits with unfinished business. In this case, his unfinished business was Rose. But every time he tried to kill her, fate seemed to step in at the last minute and intervene. When he tried to crash the plane she was learning to fly, a strong updraft saved her plane at the last moment. When he tried to kill her on that mountaintop by causing an avalanche, a shifting boulder provided enough shelter from the snow to keep her alive. When he tried to burn down the house she'd built, a smoke detector he'd sabotaged suddenly came back to life. He even tried to sink another boat she was on, but of course the life raft floated by just in the nick of time. She was apparently unkillable. It was like she had a guardian angel. Decades later, Cal still had not succeeded. As he was working up a new scheme, he watched as Rose dropped the necklace into the sea. His rage boiled over anew, but as she went to sleep and passed away, his last tie to the earth was severed. With nothing to keep him there, it was time to move on to the next plane. As the flames reached up to take him, Cal began <laughs> to scream. Oh, okay. And that's that's my immediate aftermath. That's the immediate aftermath. Oh, my God. What's going to be long term? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I like it. Very good. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So let's see what's going on with Newhouse. See, in mine, he ended up being a terrible ghost and going to hell. Now, in yours, he's reformed. So let's see uh, what that brings us. Yeah. So Cal had had a good life since he changed his ways. He'd met Carol and had a couple of kids and for the first time truly knew what love was. He told Carol everything and she had told him he was no longer that terrible man and she loved him for who he was now. He was a good father and worked hard to ensure his children had a good life. Cal ended up making enough money to start a small business and Cal's skill with words made him a natural salesman. He employed those who had fallen on hard times like he had or had served prison sentences and were now out and the business grew slowly. More shops were opened and Cal and his family lived comfortably. All those who worked for Cal found he was a generous employer and thanked him for the second chance he'd given them. Cal also invested in the local communities uh, where the shops were located and he eventually started the Rose DeWitt Scholarship to help kids through college. Now, in his 90s, surrounded by friends and family, Cal Brigman listened to his son Virgil talk about a new underwater drilling platform he was working on with his wife, Lindsay. <laughs> it's called Deep Core, Dad, and it's going to change the world, said Virgil. <laughs> and that's my long term. Uh, I love it. That's fantastic. <laughs> oh, thank you very much. Uh, well, for and for those listeners who might not know that movie as well as we do, that would be a, a tie-in to The Abyss, another James Cameron film, probably his least successful uh, film, but one of his best, in my opinion. Oh, yeah, I love very, The Abyss. Yeah. Very nicely done. I like that a lot. Thank you very much. But uh, go on, what's going on with yours? Your long term, now that your cow is in hell. Okay, well. I, I, I've, I've, I'm, I can't, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what happens here. Well, I might take a slight left turn, so I hope you won't be Ooh. disappointed. Oh, no, that's okay. All right. Rose dropped the necklace into the ocean, then went to sleep and passed away quietly into the night. When she opened her eyes again, she was on the promenade of the Titanic. And as she knew he would be, there was Jack, just as handsome and dashing as ever. They joined hands and walked up the staircase as onlookers cheered. When they got to the deck of the ship, they both stared out at the ocean together. I've been waiting for you, Jack said finally. Oh, I know, Jack. I know. It was you all those years, wasn't it? I could feel you out there, watching over me. Jack looked at his feet, almost embarrassed. It was me. I was the wind, the rock, the sounds around you, the ocean waves. Even a puddle of water once, he replied. Thought that one would work out better, he uttered under his breath. <laughs> but it was all worth it. I knew you'd come back to me. Rose subconsciously touched the necklace around her neck, the heart of the ocean. Then she leaned in to kiss Jack. It was a kiss that would last forever. And that's the end. Oh, that's very nice. Beautiful. Thanks. You know, I had to bring it back around to the romance because you know what yeah, a sucker yeah. I am <laughs> yeah, for romance. Uh, so. that, was, uh, that was lovely. It was nice. Thank you. Thank you very much. 
All right, so that was Titanic. Phil, do you have any Titanic trivia for us? Yes, so it, it had a budget of $200 million and took $2,187,000,000, which is just crazy worldwide. Yeah, pretty good return on investment. Yeah, that's not, that's not bad, really. Uh, the scene set in 1912 has, has a total length of 2 hours and 40 minutes, which was the exact time it took for the Titanic to sink. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's crazy. Uh, James Cameron went on many dives to the real Titanic. He was in a submersible obviously but uh, and he, <laughs> he's just he's just free diving with, yeah, the, with yeah. the snorkel and he, he actually ended up spending more time with the ship than its living passengers ever did wow uh, due to the long cinema run paramount had to send out replacement reels to some cinemas that had worn out their copies oh that's that's cool yeah it was the first film to be released on dvd and vhs while it was still being shown in cinemas <laughs> uh, and a 200 million dollars to make the movie cost more than the actual titanic itself cost uh, which was a uh, 1.5 million in 1912, which converted to to modern money is around about 150 million dollars. Wow! And the film has a hundred spe- it has a hundred speaking parts and over a thousand extras. Ooh! And that's the Titanic. Well, James Cameron doesn't do things small, does he? No, he certainly does not. But uh, but what do you what do you think of the film? All right, if I'm being really honest, actually, I saw it in theaters when it came out. Yeah, and I liked it, and I've yeah. I've never seen it again since. Yeah, I've watched it once. I didn't really like it. To be honest, it's not one of my favorites. Okay, fair enough. So, so I think we both need to revisit it. I've seen bits and pieces of it since, uh, and I, I mean, it looks great. I like all the actors involved. It's the the set dressing is amazing. The whole sinking bit's incredible as well. But it's just never been one one uh, that's grabbed me. I can understand that. I mean, you know, I I like I said, I liked it. I didn't love. I wasn't one of those people that you know just absolutely fell in love with it. I mean, at that point in time, James Cameron was pretty much my favorite filmmaker, and still is one of my favorite filmmakers. Um, I, what I think is interesting is how I, you know, I like to think I know a lot about movies, but I'm often wrong about things. Yeah, yeah. And you you look at this and you go, okay, so James Cameron, who up to this point had basically made like science fiction action movies decides that he wants to make a, a, a three-hour romance set on the Titanic, which is, you know, a, a historical, historical event from 80 years in the past. Yeah. And he wants $200 million to make the film, which was like the most expensive movie ever made at the time. Yeah. And somehow some studio was like, oh, yeah, sure. That seems like a good idea. How could that possibly go wrong? So you like, I think rationally it, it like- It is odd, isn't it? Yeah. Right. Like that's the worst idea I've ever heard in my life. Who would, who would greenlight that? But then you go- well, obviously somebody smarter than me because look at what the, the movie turned into. And I yeah. just – I don't understand that. You know what I mean? Like it's it, – on on paper, it is such a horrible, horrible idea. Like I mean it should never have been made. Yeah, and I really don't know why it was – I don't know why it was as successful as it was. I can understand with being you know reasonably successful with the cast and everything. But to be the, the monster that it was in the box office, it's – it's, because I don't particularly enjoy the film myself, I just can't understand how it became such – so it's the global hit it was. It's right. Just, well, I think, I mean, I, I think this is one of those movies where you can't underestimate the female audience because there were women who were going to see it every weekend over and over and over again and kept it in the top 10 for, you know, six months. Um, and I think it was just, it's one of those films that captured lightning in a bottle and it did a thing at a time. And you know what? If you release that movie today, it probably grosses $100 million and goes to DVD in three months. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was, it kind of, it just, it hit at the right time and, and it captured people and it it just you know turned into this juggernaut. It happens every once a decade or so, and for some reason it happens twice with James Cameron between Titanic and Avatar. But you know every every ten years or so, you get one of these films that just comes out of nowhere and and really 
you know, just keeps on going and going and going. And, and you know, for 96, it was Titanic. Yeah, and you can't predict it. Or 97. It just comes out of nowhere. Right. But yeah, but that's, uh, that was Titanic, everybody. All right. Very good. Well, let's move on then to the other biggest film of all time. Uh, and that would be, of course, James Cameron's Avatar. Yeah, from 2009. Can't believe it's been nine years already. I know, yes. Yeah, so it's just perfect now to be making a load of sequels to it because, you know, what the hell? I know. <laughs> I know. Well, that's kind of why we also wanted to do this film, because James Cameron is working on four or four, five or yeah. 17 sequels to it. Yeah. Um, so we figured, well, we better, I mean, not that they're in any danger of coming out anytime soon, but we figured let's get our Avatar endings in before, uh, you know, Jimmy brings them out and, you know, erases everything we might have come up with. So Yeah, so I'll, I want to try and keep this as brief as I can, but there's actually quite a bit goes on and there's lots of different characters, but I think I've, I've done okay. Okay. Well, but bear with take me. us through it. So, yes, uh, it's the 22nd century where, and humans are colonizing Pandora, which is a moon in the Alpha Centauri star system. Uh, humans are there as they're mining unobtainium, a room temperature superconductor. And we'd also learn that Earth's natural resources are depleted and Earth's not a very nice place, so people want to get away. Uh, the mining colony threatens the Navi, who are the natives of Pandora. They're the big blue people. Uh, Jake Sully, played by Sam Worthington, he's a paraplegic former Marine. He replaces his deceased twin brother as he has the same genetic code and is therefore able to use one of the Navi avatars that the humans have built on Pandora. Uh, that's where you download your brain into the avatar and you control one of the, the big aliens. Uh, Dr. Grace Augustine, played by Sigourney Weaver, she runs the avatar program and she feels Jake's a poor replacement but she uses him as a bodyguard when they go out into the uh, the dangerous uh, world of Pandora where all the animals seem to want to kill you. Uh, Jake gets separated from the others and is rescued by Natiri, played by Zoe Saldana, who's one of the Navi, and her mother, who's like a mystic, one of the leaders, she asks, asks Natiri uh, to help Jake understand their society. Meanwhile, in the, Earth, in the human encampment, Colonel Miles Quaritch, played by Stephen Lang, says he'll get the company to restore Jake's legs if Jake spies on the, the Navi and help them get to the, the huge seam of unobtainium under the home tree, which is the Navi's holy and main gathering place. Jake ends up siding with the Navi, and he and Natiri uh, become bonded as mates. Uh, a battle ensues. Jake ends up bonding with a dragon-like predator called Torak, and Grace is mortally wounded, and an attempt to use the sacred tree of souls to restore her consciousness to her avatar fails. On the eve of the final battle, Jake prays to Iwa, who is the Navi god. He, he prays to her for help. And in the, the battle, Pandora's deadly wildlife seems to aid the Navi and fights the humans. Quaritch tries to kill Jake's human body, but Natiri kills Quaritch. And the Navi, with Jake and a few other humans, stay on Pandora while everyone else is told to get lost and sent back to Earth. And Jake ends up permanently transferring his mind into his avatar. And that's Avatar. Very nicely done. <sighs> Uh, so what do you think of Avatar, Mike? You know, um, similar to Titanic, actually, I saw it once when it came out in theaters and I haven't watched it again since. And uh, that was actually that's this is one that I've wanted to watch again for quite some time now. I've really been kind of like, man, I really want to see it again because I I liked it a lot. Actually, I think it's a really good film. And I, I'm a, kind of annoyed about the whole Avatar backlash that sort of popped up where, you know, it was this humongous monster film. And when it came out. Everybody on the planet was like, it's the greatest thing I've ever seen. And then now, like, three, you know, after like three or four years, you, you mentioned Avatar and people are like, Avatar, it's all right. It's not that great. And you're like, well, you loved it a couple of years ago. Like, yeah, yeah. And it's more because 
it's not because people have changed their opinion about the film. In most cases, I'm not going to speak for everyone, but it's just that that backlash that happens when films get like super popular, uh, where people then then decide they don't like it as much. Yeah, and there was all that talk about it, you know, lifting the plot from other other films and things. I mean, it, yeah, it, when uh, I, other films nobody saw. Like, listen, you want to rip off Fern Gully? Be my guest. Like, who, hey, f- who remembers Gully, anything yeah. about Fern Gully? You know what I'm saying? Like, well, have you seen Avatar? You know, no, no, <laughs> but. Uh, uh, I mean, there was. I mean, it's. I mean, there's lots of poke. There's like Pocahontas and lots of those kind of stories. It's, it's about a person going to a new world and becoming one with the culture, that kind of thing. So it's been told in myths and legends and then books, TV shows and things. But I, I, when I saw it on the the big screen, I was blown away mainly by the 3D. It was. It's. It, it still is the best 3D I've ever seen because it was so immersive and it, it had a great feeling of depth. It wasn't just things coming out the screen. It was like you were seeing things in the distance, which just blew me away. Uh, then I, I went through a phase where the bit like you know like you were saying going oh well you know what's so good about it blah 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 blah, uh, and then uh, I, I watched it on TV it didn't have the same impact because it lost the 3D I, I do I still think it works best on the big screen with the 3D because that's sure that's how sure. James Cameron wanted it right uh, I mean and in places the story and the and the, the, the dialogue is a bit is is a bit poor right but uh, it's it, it's a big epic tale uh, it it looks it even when I was flying over to see you this year for the New York Comic Con, it was uh, one of the films on the plane, and I, I watched it there, and uh, I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I was going to enjoy it. And I, you know, I really got back into it again, and it, it worked well. And I was, you know, at the big battles, I was going, "Wow, that's cool!" And lots of little bits I'd forgotten about. So I went through phase loving it. Sort of then went, ah, not too sure about it. But then I, you know, I'm, I don't love it, love it, but I, I still think it's a real impressive piece of. Uh, filmmaking although it does have a few flaws here and there but on the whole i like it you know i think um you know obviously like i said i've only watched it in in full the one time but i've caught bits and pieces of it on tv here and there and every time i do i kind of get sucked into it for 10 or 15 minutes because it just looks so cool and yeah yeah some really great action and stuff and so you know i i I haven't i haven't sat down from start to finish but i I do think that there's there's an impact that the film has that you kind of keep coming back to but, you know, I mean, it was never my favorite film in the world or anything like yeah, that. Yeah. Uh, but I think it's a good film. I enjoy it. Yeah. But that's uh, that's uh, so that's what we think about the film. Mike, do you want to give us your rundown though, of what happens the day after? Sure thing. OK, well, Jake Sully unplugs from the interface with the machine. He looks around disoriented at first. Then it starts coming back to him. The new virtual reality movie experience was everything the advertisers had promised. He really felt like he was in the movie Avatar. (laughs) The way the entire film was catered to him was unreal, making him the lead character, immersing him in the world of the Na'vi, everything looking and feeling so lifelike. It was beyond anything he'd experienced before. As he walked out of the theater, he was amazed that the technology of 2020 was enough to create such an experience. He thought about it all day long. He couldn't get over how real it all seemed, like he really was on the planet Pandora. That night, a familiar blue face came to him in his dreams. It was Jake's own face as a Navi. He spoke to himself and said, Jake, you must remember. And that's where I'm going to leave it for now. Oh, okay. Oh, I like that. Thanks. Okay, cool. I like it. I'm looking forward to seeing what happens. All right, thank you. Well, let's uh, let's hear what's going on then in your day after. Okay. Trevor couldn't believe it. Those blue freaks had somehow beaten him and the other soldiers and killed Colonel Quaritch. Now, after a lousy time in cryosleep, Trevor found himself back on Earth. Sure, the atmosphere was not as deadly as Pandora, but with all the pollution, you still had to wear a mask. He sat at a noodle bar contemplating how crappy everything was. He had thought that joining a private security force would have been an easy gig. He'd made good money, but he lost good friends in the Battle of Pandora. Finishing his mail, he headed home. A flashing sign caught his attention. Join up now. What the hell, thought Trevor. Another tour on the forces could get me off this stinking planet. 
That's my day after. Oh, I like it. T- taking a different tack there, following a, a whole new character. Yes, yes, yes. Very cool. Thank you. Uh, but what's going on then with uh, with yours and uh, Jake seeing his avatar in his dreams? All right. Well, the next day, the dream was just a distant memory. Jake went back to work as usual, a 12-hour shift on the construction site where he operated a jackhammer and other heavy machinery. But his day felt a little off. Occasionally, as he looked around, he would catch glimpses of his co-workers and swear their faces were blue. But when he focused on them, they looked normal again. At one point, he ducked to avoid a tree branch, but then realized there were no trees on the construction site. When he turned back to inspect it, the branch was gone. And once, he looked up in the sky, and for just a moment, he could have sworn he saw a dragon-like creature flying above. This continued for several weeks, and every night he would have the same dream. Finally, he woke up in a sweat one evening, the dream still vivid in his memory. He knew what he had to do. And that's my immediate aftermath. Hmm, very cool. Oh, I still don't know whether... <laughs> is, it, is it all a dream? Is it some kind of computer simulation? Was he really there? Is what's real, what isn't? Well, all will be revealed, Phil. Uh, but in the meantime, let's hear what's going on with Trevor. I'm very intrigued by this uh, this young man. His time back in the forces had got Trevor off Earth. He'd spent most of his time in various spacecraft and space stations, but the air was still fresher than back on Earth. He'd seen some action. There'd been the start of an uprising with the miners and the asteroid belt, but they'd stopped that with a few surgical strikes. They'd also fought a few skin jobs who'd been heading back to Earth. He still wasn't sure why the droids weren't allowed on Earth when they were used on the spacecrafts and other settlements that he'd visited. He also found it odd that there was nothing in the news about the events on Pandora. In all the years since he'd returned, it was as if Pandora had been wiped from all systems. It was odd, but Trevor soon lost interest in it and just looked forward to the next mission. That's my immediate aftermath. All right, interesting. Very interesting. I like it. Thank you very much. But uh, enough about mine. What's going on then? I want to know what's going on with your Jake and this thing. I want to know what what the dealio is. All right. Well, lucky for you, I am going to reveal all the mysteries now. So, Oh, brilliant. We're looking behind the curtain. It's the Wizard of Oz (laughs) now. Something like that. (laughs) All right. Jake went back to the movie theater where Avatar was still playing. He jacked into the virtual experience and was once again transported to Pandora. This time, when he met up with Neytiri, he tried to ask her what was going on, but she kept spouting the same lines from the script over and over again. He thought there was no hope until he passed by a small pond and saw his reflection. He looked at it carefully until it suddenly began to talk to him. Remember who you are, Jake, his reflection said. Remember what's real. Jake stared into the pond, and with a sudden rush, the memories started flooding back in. He remembered it all, the small command unit that had infiltrated Pandora and captured the Navi leaders the strange machines they'd been hooked up to, the smirking colonel who promised that things would be different this time. And with that, Jake reached behind his head and ripped out the interface. The world around him swirled and crumbled, and both Pandora and the movie theater were suddenly gone. Jake looked around and realized he was in a lab of some sort. As he stumbled to the window, he saw that outside, the surface of Pandora was being ravaged by mining vehicles and that the Navi people were enslaved. Glancing around the lab, he realized that all of the leaders of the Navi were right here in this room. He set about unhooking them all and returning them to reality. Then he looked out the window one more time. Once again, the time had come to fight for Pandora's freedom. Ooh, I like that. And that's the end. And much like James Cameron, I have left mine open for four more sequels. So Yeah, I like that. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Okay, so that's my, uh, my ending. Phil, let's hear what's going on with yours. I want to see how this all comes to a head. Okay. The last few missions had flown by for Trevor. His new units were a good group of people. The sergeant was a hard-ass, but fair. The corporal was a bit of an enigma. A quiet soul, but focused and professional on the missions. All in all, Trevor was happy with where he'd ended up. <laughs> it's, it's almost like I know where you're going with this. Yeah, I just heard... I, you could, I think it's I think, <laughs> funny. I could, I could, okay. Yeah. 
<laughs> the new mission sounded like a cakewalk. All he had to do was check out the terraforming colony who'd gone radio silent. <laughs> it was probably just a technical issue, but the female consultant who'd briefed them was trying to speak about some sci-fi crap, and she seemed to have a problem with the ship's android. <laughs> the briefing over, Trevor was about to leave when the sergeant pulled him over. Wisbowski, have you got a problem with the mission? said the sergeant, <laughs> chewing on an unlit cigar. Sir, no, sir, said Trevor. <laughs> That's good to hear, said Sergeant Apone. I got enough crap from Hudson. Dismissed. Trevor watched the sergeant walk off before heading up to check his equipment. They'd soon be reaching LV-426, and he wanted to be ready. Very nice. <laughs> I love that you made him, you know, like one of those characters from Aliens who was just there enough, but definitely not someone that we already kind of like we knew much about. You know what I mean? That's it. Yeah, because I was trying to think there's always that one. There's always the one Marine when you listen to them. Right. And you only remember. know him because Michael Bean yells, where's Bowski? Where's That's Bowski? It, yeah. That's the one. You know? yeah. And it's, it's sort of uh, looking at the, uh, the, the timeline as well. It sort of matches up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's awesome. And of course, they're both James Cameron films, so... Yes, it's almost as if it was planned. Right, right, exactly. (laughs) He's like, gosh, that that Ripley chick looks awfully familiar, and I I can't place her. That's it, but I think all of uh, James Cameron's films, or we should have a Cameron universe, shared universe. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Uh, Yeah. But that's uh, that's our endings, and I really liked yours. Likewise, a lot of fun. fun. All right, well, Phil, do you have any Avatrivia for us? Okay, Uh, the trivia for Avatar. Cameron, James Cameron had planned for the film to be out in 1999, but the special effects needed at the time would have put the budget up to $400 million and no studio's got time for that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it was when... Uh, well, so we think, but apparently they'll greenlight a $200 million phone by <laughs> a ship sinking. So yeah, yeah. it doesn't seem out of the realm of possibility. Yeah, it's actually Titanic. It was just James Cameron bluffing. And then when they surprised <laughs> it, when the studio went for it, he went, oh, okay, we're going to make it now. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> he really wanted to do something completely different. He's like, I know. He was like, I'm going to, I want a hundred million to make, you know, this other movie, but <laughs> yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to pitch him first with Titanic for 200 million. And then when they say no to that, I'll say, oh, well, I have this other idea for a hundred million. And then when they said, okay, he was like, oh, <laughs> oh my God. Guess, no, the Titanic. I guess I've got to make that movie now. Crap. <laughs> Imagine if that's wasn't what expecting was. that. would be so good. <laughs> You know what? I don't care if that's true or not. That's the story I'm telling from now on whenever Titanic yeah. comes up. Because yeah. I think it would be awesome if we made that a part of like Hollywood lore that <laughs> Titanic was really just a, a giant bluff by James Cameron. He actually wants to make a new Herbie movie. <laughs> right. uh, was... A $100 million reboot of the Herbie franchise. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he went with Titanic first. Oh. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> Uh, okay, but uh, James Cameron was convinced uh, that CG effects had progressed enough when he saw Gollum and the Lords of the Rings films. Nice. Took four years to make from pre-production to hitting the theatres. Uh, some of the CGI scenes took an average of 47 hours to render. Wow. It was the first ever movie to cross the two billion mark worldwide. Mm-hmm. Unobtainium is a humorous term which actually, which is really used in the aerospace industry, and it describes a material which is perfect for an application but does not exist or is very expensive, or violates the laws of physics. Oh, okay. Yes, so Unobtainium, when we all laughed and scoffed when that was mentioned, is actually based on a little tradition which goes on in the real world. There you go. But that's Avatar. Very nice. All right. Well, there you go. So those are our endings for two of the biggest movies of all time, which I guess makes that two of our biggest endings of all time. Yeah, and eventually this episode is going to earn us over $2 billion. (laughs) <laughs> yeah yes I, I believe that's how it works uh, sadly it's going to take about two billion years for it all to come so <sighs> we might not be here to enjoy all of it although no if it's when we're watching the, the first avatar sequel and it uses elements from both of our endings right and then, then we sue james cameron for all there the money in the world and that's when we get our money 
Yeah. I like it. I like it. Yeah. That's really our whole long-term plan for making money off this podcast is just to hope that at some point someone makes a sequel that borrows enough of our elements that we can sue the pants off of them and then we can just retire based on our money from that. It's a plan with no flaws. Yeah. Yeah, except with our luck, someone's going to do that and then the movie's going to tank and make like $3 million in the box office. So we'll sue them and we'll get checks for like 57 bucks a piece. Damn it. And then our, our, glad, our grand plan will be all out the window. Damn those directors making crappy movies based on our <laughs> endings. Right? Oh. Don't make crap sequels. It'll be the Pineapple Express sequel. Yeah, because every single ending we've done in these hundred episodes, so that works out. It's about two hundred different endings, isn't it? Yep, two hundred different movie pitches now. It's actually uh, well, it's actually like four hundred because you've got two movies per episode. Oh yeah, of course, we yeah. Each yeah. do yeah. endings. Yeah, so, so four hundred pitches for different movies. Oh my yeah. god, we're just we're we, we won't discuss the fact that. Another way of looking at it is that you and I have made 400 movie pitches and Hollywood hasn't picked up a single one of them. <laughs> what does that say about us? We'll just skip uh, right over that. Uh, we're too ex- our plot's too expensive. Right. There you go. That's, what, that's, like James that's Cam- all that's holding us back. Like James Cameron, you know, at the moment, technology can't make the films that we've come up with. That's right. That's right. So probably once we're both dead and buried, yes. we're going to be like legends. Right, right. <laughs> damn it why can't we have the money now i know i want to be a legend <laughs> while i'm alive not when i'm dead <laughs> all right well let's move on then to 100 years of hollywood in 100 episodes wherein we take a year from the past century of hollywood and share our top t- top 10 favorite films but in this case we have done every year and then we did them again with our movies we missed so now it's time to go through all 100 of those years and narrow it down to our top 20 films of all time Boy, was this difficult. It certainly was. But uh, before we go any further, I'll, what we'll do is as well, if any of the ones where we've gone after the ending, I'll try and mention which episode we did them in so you can go back and listen to them if you're so inclined. Very good. Now, Phil, I, I had sort of a mental criteria when I was making my list for how I picked the movies and how I organized them. Well, more for how I picked them. But did, did you have any sort of criteria when you're going through this list or was it more of a gut feeling kind of thing? Oh, yeah, I had two criteria. Uh, the amount of letters in the name of the film and <laughs> alphabetical order. Okay. Were we not meant to do that? <laughs> no, I went with uh, I went with all the ones that I picked as a number one in the previous years when we gone back through it. And I also I had uh, any ones I had a few where if they're part of a trilogy or a series of movies, I'm gonna include them all in, but give a shout out to a particular one or two, which was the reason why it made the list, just to help include some of these other films as well. That makes sense. And I, I did the same thing with the trilogies. And and what I did for my approach, I, I'm gonna go a little peek behind the curtain here. I was really having a hard time figuring out which films to to put on on the list in terms of some you know it's hard to compare you know a, a, a you know a classic from the 30s with like a cult comedy from the 80s you know yeah, how yeah. how do I leave one in and take the other one out and so what I ended up doing just as a as a kind of personal guideline was as sort of a default this isn't a hard and fast rule but as sort of a default I kind of started to go by how many times I've seen the movies not in terms of putting them in order by how many times I've seen them but I sort of started to go okay well, I really love this movie, but I've only seen it like once or twice. But I also really love this movie, and I've seen it 37 times. So yeah, yeah, I kind of okay, looked yeah. at them as not just which movies are the best, but which ones have the most repeatability, which ones have the most viewability, which ones I just keep coming back to over and over and over again. And that really helped me narrow my focus and get this list down to 20, because I think otherwise I would have just been up all night <laughs> trying, to, trying to get them down. No, it's, it's a good way of doing it, yeah. I uh, I like that. But it's, as, as we always say as well, these are – it's based – it's – it's not the best movies in the world, although the, lots of these are, will be. It's like our favorite personal opinion. So, yeah. you know, you don't have to go screaming and shouting at us because your opinion is just as relevant. But you listen to our podcast, so therefore you want to see what's on our list. 
Right, but my number one is the best film of all time. So um, well, it's flubber, we'll isn't it? We'll, it's it's <laughs> yes. flubber, both of ours. <laughs> it is flubber, uh, but but we'll get to that in a little bit. Now, before we get into the list itself, let me let me also just say we want to take a different approach uh, with this list because these are all movies we've talked about before. They were all mostly number ones, maybe a, a number two f- slips in there, but they're all films we spent you know in, in the original lists we talked about at length. Uh, several of them may have also been in many episodes, so we didn't want to just repeat ourselves. So what we're trying to do here. Um, you know, and bear with us, but what we're trying to do is rather than just repeat, hey, this is a movie, you know, we love it. This is why we love it. Same thing we've already said. We want to try and make this a little more personal. So we're going to kind of try and share some uh, personal connection we have with the film. Maybe it's a memory of the first time we saw it or a reason why the film is meaningful to us. But rather than kind of rehashing things we've already said, we thought, hey, let's take a different tack and you know, kind of approach this list in a more personal connection kind of way. So hopefully that'll work out and you'll enjoy it and it'll all make sense. Yes, yes. Well put. Well, thank you. All right. Well, Phil, with that all out of the way, then why don't you kick us off and give us your number 20? My number 20 is Mel Brooks Blazing Saddles, that classic comedy. Uh, I've just got so many fond memories of watching this with my uh, my friends, uh, different groups of friends through the years, university or home, uh, and just everybody laughing. Uh, It's always great watching it when... You've seen it many times, and then you somebody who hasn't seen it or only seen bits, sit, you sit there and watch it, and it's just it's laughing from start to finish. The campfire with the beans. It's just it's just whenever I think of this film, it's just memories of laughter, and I think that's that's a, that's a nice way to think of a film. Indeed, it is an excellent choice. Can't argue with Mel Brooks. Well, you can, but he probably does some comedy back to you and you just be laughing (laughs) right okay well my number 20 is a as a different one a different kind of film it is from 1999 and it is remember the titans oh yeah yeah. and this is one of those films that you know there's nothing special about the first time i saw it you know i went with my girlfriend at the time we saw it in movie theaters that was the end of it but yeah uh what 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 it is about this movie for me is um you know obviously i love the message of it you know the 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 anti-racism message but like this is one of those films where every time I watch it, I forget how much I love it. And then I get to the end and I'm just bawling like a baby. And I, I think there <laughs> yeah, are yeah. few films that have captured real friendships like this movie does. And I, I think that's incredibly moving. And so for me, like I said, the, the personal connection is just more the feeling that I get when I watch it and that it's it just really moves me. And I, I think, man, this is what friendship is all about. And this is what overcoming differences is all about and it, it just gets me to tears every single time well put thank you thank you uh, a nice uh, i had a feeling i'd be on your list yeah i really do it's it's my favorite sports movie of all time and it really is one of my favorite movies i kept trying to knock it off the list because i feel like it's not as weighty or as popular or as important as some of the other films on my list but i, I just kept coming back to it and going I, I can't i can't leave it off i love it too much brilliant yeah it's, it's uh, i've only ever seen it the once as well i must uh, i must watch it again yeah it's definitely worth rewatching. i think you'll remember it being much you'll You'll be surprised that it's a much better film than you remember. Yeah, I think I think I'll probably remember the Titans though when I do watch it. <laughs> oh, well played, sir. Touche. <laughs> I just got filled. <laughs> Badum dum. Try the fish. I like it. Okay, my number nineteen is uh, one which is often on you know the pinnacle of many films critics lists, uh, but it is Citizen Kane, which we went after the ending of back in episode seventy four. Very good. It's just one of those films where I'd always read about it. I was always reading about films when I was a young. A young kid uh, and always fascinated by it and then one day I saw I was looking through the you know the, the TV listings and saw it was going to be on TV and I, I going I'm going to watch it I'm going to watch it and I remember sitting there watching it the first time as as a kid teenager 
uh, I can't remember how old, but just going, watching it and going, well, what, what the hell? It's an old man. What, what the hell? He runs a newspaper. What? Uh, <laughs> I, I don't get it. And then, but then I realized I watched the whole film and I was just, and at the end when you, you found out what Rosebud was, I was going, oh my God. Oh, and I was going, I, I, did I enjoy that or not? And then I had to wait until it was on TV again, probably like a year or so or two years later to watch it again. And then it suddenly, it all clicked with me and I went, oh my God, this is brilliant. This is amazing. I, I can't, I can't believe it. It was one of the films which made me realize, you know, what goes into making films and, and the technical things and the acting and everything together. And it's just, it's always stuck with me and I've seen it many times since. And I think it's, it's rightly is a classic. Very good. Very good. Did not make my list. I do love the film. Uh, I had a very similar experience to you. I watched it the first time in a journalism class in eighth grade. Oh, always a good way to kill something. Isn't <laughs> yeah. It to do that? Yeah. We watched it over like three days and I was, I was thoroughly unimpressed with it at the time, but you know, I was in eighth <laughs> grade. So you know what I mean? I mean, it was yeah, better than yeah. doing work, but, uh, but then I watched it again. I think the next time I saw it actually was in college in a film class. And I, you know, I'd learned a lot about movies <laughs> between those two years and, uh, you know, I gained a much deeper appreciation for it. So it is a fantastic film. Excellent. Yeah. Choice. I do I think it would be better, though, with aliens and laser guns. But, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think any yeah. film would be. Uh, absolutely. All right. Well, my number 19 is, is my first tie. And I will say I was very sparing with the ties. I didn't do too many of them because I could have easily made this a 40-film list by just having ties every oh, yeah. every yeah, other term. Yeah. But I, I didn't. But, but I do have a couple. And I, I really tried to only do them when they really fit together. I think these two do. It's two very dark science fiction thrillers from the 90s. It's 12 Monkeys and Dark City. Very good. The thing that I remember most about these films is, you know, neither one of them was a box office smash. I mean, Dark City was kind of a flop. 12 Monkeys was at least successful. Yeah. But it wasn't like one of those movies that everyone saw. And I remember with both of these films was when they came out on video, they were just those movies where I would just hop around to like a different friend's apartment or house or whatever every weekend and be like, you got to watch this movie. Have you seen it? No, let's watch it. And then I'd watch it. And then the next weekend I'd be somewhere else or someone different would be at my house and be like, have you seen Dark City? No, we're going to watch it. It's going to blow your mind. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. and the same thing with 12 Monkeys because they're just both such mind-blowing movies. You know, they're they're so intriguing and, and you don't know what's going on until the end of each of them. When you finally get to the ending of both of them, you're just blown away by the reveals. And, you know, they're, they're well acted and they're dark and they're mysterious. And like I said, I just, I loved watching people discover them for the first time. And that was always my mission when I find a movie that I'm passionate about is to try and, you know, get more people to, to experience it. So those two movies had that in common. And that's my number 19. Fantastic. And uh, I like, I like how you put that. We went after the ending of 12 Monkeys as well in episode 79. Mm -hmm. If you want to listen to that, I think from what I recall, I quite enjoyed our endings for that. I, I agreed. Uh, okay, uh, my number 18 is uh, from 1933, and it is King Kong. Very good. Uh, which I've always liked, this, the tale of King Kong. I didn't see the film. For, I don't think he has a tale. I mean, if he it does, it's very small. <laughs> that was the sequel, <laughs> The Tale of King Kong. Right. Uh, but uh, I didn't see it for a while. I can't remember. I might have been late teens when I saw it, but I'd always it was another one I'd read about, the whole stop motion thing as well, and, you know, the beauty kill the the beast and all that kind of stuff. But I remember sitting there watching it. It was one of my grandparents. I can't remember which one, but just I remember sitting there watching it. It was a sunny day outside, uh, but, you know, taken to Skull Island and then suddenly Kong's there and it's just, wow, it was a black and white brilliance and just, wow, it was just, I could, it was Kong, you know, you could see why he's the king. It was just a great story. And then when he's taken, oh, I just, I just, it just took me on this journey to this other other time, another place with uh, the biggest ape you've ever seen. 
Right, right. I, I, you know, I, I mean, how many times have I said King Kong is one of my favorite movies of all time? This is the first casualty of my list that didn't make the oh, cut. It's the way it goes. There's so many good films. Yeah, I mean, I really wanted to put it on there. And again, I sort of ended up with that, you know, how often do I rewatch this movie type of thing? And, and for that reason, it didn't make the cut. Although it is, you know, it is definitely, it, it would be in my top 25 for sure. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, my number 18 is not a film I expected to make this list. But when I when I looked at it, it had to. It is... Elf. Okay. Gotcha. From 2003. Yeah. And, and here's why. There's two things about it that, that do it that really connect with me. The first is I remember seeing it in theaters with my wife and the two of us just, I mean, falling out of our chairs laughing. But here's the thing. Since my kids were old enough to watch it, which was when they were you know, fairly young, because it's a pretty tame movie, we've watched it every single Christmas. And we watch it every single Christmas still. And it's a, it's a family tradition. And it, I don't think it'll ever not be a family tradition. I don't think there's any other movie on this list that I watch every single year without fail. Yeah, yeah. Except for Elf. And every time I watch it, I laugh just as hard as I do that first time because it's that funny of a movie. So when I looked at my list that way, I was like, God, if I can watch this movie every single year for the past, you know, seven or eight years and not get tired of it, it's got to be one of my favorite movies. You know, I mean, it, yeah, it really that's, is. That's a, yeah, it's an, it's an excellent point. Yeah, yeah. So Elf is my number 18. I love it. And my family loves it. My wife, my kids. It's just we watch it every single year. And I think we always will. Well, that's the thing I love about Christmas. One of the things I love about Christmas, because there's many things to love about Christmas, but is, is watching all of the different, uh, you know, holiday movies. And it's just there's so many good ones. And you just builds up this tradition. And then you have the memories and of the good times so when you see them again each year it's just it just doubles down on the on the happiness yeah i mean i love the fact that you know when i'm gone you know hopefully a long long time from now my kids will always be able to watch elf at christmas and have warm fond memories of growing up watching that movie with their mom and dad i mean what what better gift can you give somebody no that's an excellent point i like it all right moving on then okay my number 17 is uh, the day the air stood still which uh, we went after the ending way back in episode 32. Very good. Uh, but I just, again, it's uh, lots of these, the, the past few films, it's all been, it's, I remember seeing them like uh, movie magazines or, you know, books about films. And there was always the image of Gort for this one, which I was going, well, what the hell? Wow. What the, you know, it's, it's a man in a suit, obviously, but how's it all work? And uh, when I put it all together and it was just brilliant, but I watched it again recently, I think a couple of years ago with my daughter, who at the time was 10, nine or 10. Uh, and you know it's it's a black and white movie. There's not actually there's hardly any action in it at all. But uh, put it on, and she was just engrossed and loved it all. And at the end of it, she actually went, "Thanks for putting that on. That was just amazing." And can we watch it again? I have these memories of me being a kid watching it and enjoying it, and then having watching it with my daughter. Very good choice. Didn't make my list. I do love the film, uh, but just wasn't in my top top. You know. Oh yeah, yeah. All right, my number seventeen is another tie. Uh, but again, a, a, a strong theme here. It is two comedies. It's two high school comedies from the 1980s. And of course they are The Breakfast Club and Better Off Dead. I don't know that I need to say much about The Breakfast Club. I will say that, though, the first several times I saw it, I saw it on television, which if you've ever seen it on television, it's almost funnier because of the way they they change all the swearing. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's, yeah. Flip you, eat my shorts, you know, that type of stuff. And But for years, I didn't know what some of the real dialogue was. <laughs> I mean, I could guess, obviously, but there's moments where certain things were changed until I finally got to see a, a video, you know, a, 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 like a DVD version of it when I was in like my late teens, you know, but I started watching it when I was a lot younger than that. So, um, and then Better Off Dead is one of those films that, you know, 
It came out in the 80s. I didn't see it until the 90s. My best friend yeah, in yeah. high school was like, he was like shocked that I didn't know this film. I was like, I never even heard of it. So we went over to his house one day after school and popped in a good old VHS tape of it. And it, you know, it changed my life to the point where I named my website that I ran for several years after it. You know, I want my two dollars dot com. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's one of my favorite comedies. But, you know, I owe all that my love of that film to, you know, one of my best friends. So, Ryan, thank you for that. I will uh, always be grateful for you uh, introducing me to Better Off Dead. So, and and still an underseen movie. If you haven't seen it, for the love of God, oh, definitely, go yeah. watch Un- yeah. Better Off Dead. It still holds up, and it's still ridiculously funny. Yes, and we talk about the film more back in episode eighty-three, and also we did the Breakfast Club in episode sixty-three. Very cool. Okay, my number sixteen is two thousand one: A Space Odyssey, uh, which still holds up extremely well with the effects. It just it, it blows my mind. It was made the year before the moon landing. And it just looks the way it does, and it's still it's still just amazing. But I remember seeing this coming on when I was a kid, and again looking to I saw it was going to be on one Saturday or Sunday afternoon, and I was round at my nan's, uh, and there was my mum was about to take me and my brother back home, and I was going, no, no, can can I stay here and watch this film? I want to watch this film. I've read it. I want to know what it's what it's like. It's it's meant to be this big thing. I, I don't know much about it, but I want to watch it. And she said, okay, you can watch it. I'll come pick you up. You know. You know, in four hours when it's finished, but it's a long <laughs> film, not that long. But uh, and I remember sitting there uh, watching it where my nan kept going and out. She could she go back and she she made like some. I remember she was make crinkle cut chips. She had this cutter which made them all crinkly, and I'd have a plate, plate of chips, and then she could come back with like some sandwiches. And I remember sitting there all day, and nothing had happened. Yeah, it's going. It would, but I remember just being, as you say, nothing much happens in it. But I just remember being, you know, mesmerized by it all, by the way it looked and the way they moved, and the fact these people were talking when they did talk. Cause there's not much dialogue in it. Right. But when, but when they were talking, it wasn't really about much anything in particular. And then you had Hal, this glowing thing, who actually, you know, the glowing guy. And but it suddenly it became menacing, even though he had this, you know, he's perfectly polite and everything. But I just remember sitting there on this day with my little nan. We just ate, watched the film, talked, and yeah, I just I was again transported. Well. Now you know that's a lovely story, by the way. Before I Thank you. before I um, discuss, <laughs> you, you know that last time we talked about two thousand one, I had mentioned that I had never seen it before. That's correct. Yes, um, but there was a a new anniversary edition, you know, blah blah blah, coming out. So I yeah. have now, as of this recording, I have watched two thousand and one, and here's what struck me about the film when I was watching it, going, this was made in nineteen sixty eight which is the same year that the original Star Trek was on TV. And I'm a huge fan of Star Trek. I love the original show. But when you look at the special effects in 2001 and you compare them to the special effects in Star Trek, it's astounding at what they were able to create. Not just in terms of the spaceships and the planets and stuff, but like the weightlessness uh, special effect and the way they did all that stuff. Mind-blowing. So I watched this film, and and I, I was with it. And even though there's large stretches with no dialogue and large stretches where not much happens, I was I was into this film. I was digging it. And then there's the ending. <laughs> I can I can explain the ending for you in just one word. Go for it. Aliens. Yeah, right. I got to say, there are some movies where you can really like them and then the ending ruins it for you. 2001 is one of those films for me. I hated I hated the ending so much. I think it is for quite a few people. Yeah, it? I don't think I'm alone in that. It's such a it's such a like left turn and it makes no sense. And I, I read up, I did, I did hours of research trying to, you know, to read the explanations about the ending and all of them make a certain amount of sense, but 
if you have to then go to a discussion board or have a conversation with a film scholar to understand the ending of a film, then you have failed that film, in my opinion. I know a lot of people disagree with me because this is a well-loved movie. But yeah, that's my opinion. So so not on my top 20 list, I'll tell you but that. But you still appreciated the film up until absolutely. the end. Absolutely. I absolutely did. I just was so let down by the ending. It was crushing. No, I can, I can understand. I can understand. All right, moving on. My number 16 is a film I really wanted to put higher on my list because I love it so, so much. Um, but when I kind of looked at it through the, the repeat viewing scale, it, it had to drop down a little bit. It is Gattaca. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've talked about it before. It is a science fiction drama. It has such a deep personal reson- resonance for me. It is a film about achieving your potential. And again, this is one of those ones like Remember the Titans. I don't have a ton of memories associated with it. I saw it in theaters by myself. Uh, and I was literally by myself. I think I was the only person in the theater. I went to like a daytime showing about three days after it opened, and it, it did not do well in theaters. Um, but there was something about sitting in an empty movie theater watching this movie all by myself that I, I think made it feel like it was for me. Yeah, yeah. And not to say that I feel like I've lived up to my potential necessarily, or at least not all of it. Uh, but it, it was such a moving experience for me. It's one of those things that I, I remember very vividly, even though it's been 20 years since the film came out. I think I always will. And it's a film that I, I want everyone to see because it, it's such an important film to me. So even though it's only number 16, because it's not the type of film that I watch all the time because it is kind of a heavy you know film, but I I love it so, so much. Oh, an excellent pick. It's, uh, I didn't make my list, but it, only because I've only ever seen it the once, but I really yeah. enjoyed it. But I need, I need yeah. to... Uh... I need to get hold of it again and watch it again. It's another one of those ones, I think, where you'll you'll be surprised by how good it is when you rewatch it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, my number 15 is a, a quite a recent film. It's Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Wow, nice. It was, uh, I'd been sent the screener disc and I sat down uh, with my parents because they, they'd fancied watching it as well. So we sat down and watched it. It was uh, cold outside, miserable, but we sat and watched this film, which is on paper quite a miserable sounding film. Uh, and miserable things happen in it, but we... We loved the hell out of it. It's we laughed a hell of a lot more than we thought we would. All of all three of us were just engrossed in this story, and at the end of it, we were talking about it. And then for days afterwards, you know, one of us would be going, "Oh, well, you know, this that just it's it was it's nice when a film sticks with you." Uh, yeah, that's my number fifteen. Very good choice. All right, on my number fifteen, we do have another tie, but I promise it's it's one of the last ones. <laughs> um, and it is again a very strong theme because I couldn't pick one, but I didn't want to take up two spots on the list. It's my two favorite Alfred Hitchcock films. It's Psycho and Rear Window. Oh, nice, nice. And you know, I so I actually have very different memories of these. The Rear Window was one that I was introduced to at a very young age. I remember renting the checking out the tape from the library. You know, my mom saying, "Oh, this is a great movie." Yeah. You know, watching it just being blown away by it and again i've talked about some of those films when i was like maybe probably about 10 years old that sort of started my transition from you know watching kid movies to watching grown-up films um so i I remember that vividly and i i i really love that film psycho is actually one of those films was one of the later films i saw of hitchcock's biggest works it was one i you know I, i knew everything about it i knew the twist i knew the shower scene i knew you know everything and i just had never gotten around to it i even been on the attraction at universal studios in florida several times <laughs> before ever actually seeing the movie oh cool okay but once i finally got it on dvd uh, you know, it was everything it, it had been hyped up to be. And, you know, I've seen it so many times since then because it just I never get tired of watching it. And it's, you know, just a brilliant film. So Hitchcock, of course, had to be represented, but I really couldn't choose between the two films. Brilliant. Both excellent movies. OK, my number 14 is The Sting, which I, I just love. Again, saw it when I was a kid. 
and watching it and just loving all you know the cons, the different characters rubbing the nose, uh, looking cool, playing you know learning these different cons, and then at the end when you find out what the big con is, I remember being blown away by it and then going, but not quite getting it, not quite understanding what I'd done. I felt like I'd missed something, but this was before you know. I couldn't record, but we didn't have a video recorder, so I couldn't do it. And it wasn't, I had to wait until it was on TV again. And then when it was on, I watched it, you know, really paying attention. And then for whatever reason, I missed a bit again. I had to go, somebody called around or something, and I missed part of it. So then I had to wait for another year to see it all properly again. And then go, oh, that's exactly how they did it. And now I understand. Uh, but it's just, I love con movies. And The Sting is the, the, the big one of them all, which just... I just love it, and it's 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 funny and charming and beautiful, and yeah, very good pick. I, I another casualty that was really hard for me to leave off because I do love it, but just couldn't just couldn't fit it in. All right, well, my number fourteen is uh, it's one of the greats, and I again surprised that it came in as low as it did, but I, it's just how the <laughs> list worked out. I don't know what to tell you. It's Ghostbusters from nineteen eighty four. Nice, 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 and you know. I remember this is one of those movies that I knew so much about before I saw it because all my friends at school saw it before I did and they would come in and they would tell me all the jokes and ever you know it was like spoilers I mean really you know back in the day kids have no filter yeah. Um, yeah. but you know I think this is one of the first movies that I started to quote Oh yeah I think I think that could be yeah, one probably one of the first for me as well Yeah, yeah. and I I remember seeing it and then just that whole who you going to call? You know, we came, we, you know, we saw, we kicked its ass. Call oh, it luck, call it karma. Right. You know, where do the stairs go? They go up. When someone asks <laughs> you if you're a god, you say yes. I mean, there's just, it's the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man. Listen, do you smell something? <laughs> right. There's just so many quotable lines from that film. And I really think that was kind of where that, that's all, that all started for me. So, um, you know, it's, it's an amazing movie. It's, it's funny and scary at places and it's just fantastic. So that's my number 14, Ghostbusters. Brilliant. I'm glad it made your list because it almost made my list, but it kept getting pushed down. Oh, okay. So I don't feel that too bad then having it at number 14 then. It was included on previous lists, so you'll be able to there find it. There you go. That's right. Yeah, and we went after the ending for Ghostbusters 2 back in episode 37. Very good. Okay, my number 13 is uh, it's two films. It's Alien and Aliens. Awesome. So there's a, a Ridley Scott film made the list yeah right go figure <laughs> yeah uh but i remember i might t- i can't remember if i've told a story before but with alien i wanted to see it but was too young so uh, my granddad said he'd watch it for me and tell me what happened <laughs> <laughs> and he, he didn't like horror movies right and i remember because i remember going to see him a couple of days afterwards going did you watch it did you watch it he was going yeah yeah i said did you, did, was it good he went it was really good but i didn't like it <laughs> but, uh, well I, and he, he was taking me through the basics but without telling me you know how you know it's not even gory, is it? But he was he was keeping it as PG as he could, uh, and he even drew me a picture of the alien, <laughs> with the, complete with the you know the the mouth coming out. Right. But right. he made it with a big smiley face and his big big happy eyes. But it had this tongue which had another mouth on. Right. Right. So God bless him. He was brilliant. <laughs> but uh, that's what I remember about Alien. But then when I finally saw the film, I you know suspenseful, just so well done. And Aliens just built on what had gone before. Different movie. Uh, enjoy it for different reasons, but it's it's one of those. Rare times when a sequel builds on what's gone before and goes a different way. Well, I think it's interesting, Phil. We haven't had any overlap on our lists at all so far. But I was thinking that, yeah. I landed at number 13 with Aliens myself. <gasps> Oh, my God. <laughs> How do you like that? Yeah, um, that's good. Yeah, for me, it was a much clearer def- definition between aliens and alien. I love alien. I-, I really do. But it's all about aliens for me. James Cameron, it's the one. Uh, you know, my favorite memory about that that one is just that I wasn't that familiar with the, the films at all. And I remember being in a bookstore with a friend of mine and the novelization for aliens was on the shelf. And he goes, I want to see that movie. And I was like, I don't I don't know that movie. He's like, oh, I love the first one. And I go, what was the first one? 
because I hadn't heard of it. He goes, <laughs> he goes, alien. And I'm like, oh, very creative naming conventions they've got there. <laughs> uh, that was my first exposure to the world of aliens. Was a, was a bookstore novelization. Um, but I went on to read that novelization of aliens dozens of times. I mean, I read that book cover to cover like, until it was just worn. If you're a longtime listener of the show, as Phil evidenced just this very episode, it, I think we've probably come back to referencing Alien or Aliens in our endings more than any other movie out there. Yeah, yeah, I mean, could, could be right, actually. You know, I think each of us have a couple of times sort of come up with a thing where somebody ends up sort of in that Aliens universe. So Yeah, Wayland Utani probably got to mention Yeah, it. exactly. So that's, um, yeah, I mean, there you go, an easy choice. So both number 13 for those, very good. Yeah, that's weird. And we went after the ending of Aliens way back in episode 50. Yeah, our first big anniversary episode. We did our top yes. 10 films at the time of the movies yeah. we'd done yet of, the, of yeah. that point. So excellent. Okay, I like it. Okay, uh, my number 12 is... It's a trio of spaghetti westerns. A fistful of dollars, a few dollars more, and the good, the bad, and the ugly. But it's mainly the good, the bad, and the ugly. But I love them all. Clint Eastwood's. Uh, I remember seeing the image, the you know, photos of of Clint, uh, you know, as the man with no name. Uh, I didn't see them for a while. I like I liked westerns, but I was I kept hearing about spaghetti westerns and was going. I remember one of my a friend of mine, their dad was really into the spaghetti westerns, and it always seemed to be like a more adult kind of films compared to other westerns and i remember sitting when i eventually got on to seeing one of them i think it was the good the bad and the ugly was the first one i saw i just remember seeing these these films and the fact i was used to you know the guy riding on his horse doing the big you know the gunfights and and the big you know barroom brawls and things like that I and mean, it's you know a little bit of tongue-in-cheek some of them but uh, this one was just a guy standing there in a poncho uh but you didn't know what was going to happen love them and i i watched them many many times since but it's they're my number 12 Good choice. All right. Well, my number 12 is also a trio, and it has a Western in it. Okay. Any guesses? Uh, Back to the Future. You got it. Nice job. Yep. It's the Back to the Future trilogy. Um, Classic films, of course. My favorite of the trilogy is Back to the Future 2. It always has been. I just, I love the crazy time travel, and I love going to the future. You know, I've seen the other two films, you know, a good number of times each, but I've seen Back to the Future Part 2 like literally dozens of times. I mean, it's a classic trilogy. I think I have the same memories of everybody else watching them, just going to see them in the theaters, loving them, really getting caught up in the world of Marty McFly and his time travel and his parents and all that stuff. And yeah, they're they're fantastic. Excellent choice. Uh, Okay, my number 11 is uh, from a few years back. It is What We Do in the Shadows. By Taika Waititi. Really? Yeah, because I just really like it. Uh, the mockumentary, <laughs> all about the vampires, which on, on paper I was going, well, why is this going to work? And I remember watching it, and I think it was my friend Pete. Uh, neither of us knew what it was, but it, I think it had come on. Well, we, we, we knew the basics, but it had come up on one of the streaming services, so we put it on, uh, and we just laughed and laughed and laughed and loved it. And I've watched it uh, many times since, and I still laugh. And I keep seeing new stuff in it, and it's uh, it's great. And I'm looking forward to they're doing a TV show set in New York based on it, so I'm looking forward to see what that happens. But, uh, yeah, uh, first encounter, I think, with Taika Waititi was that, and I loved it. Okay, good. I mean, I only sound surprised because I, I enjoy that movie, but I, I didn't even come close as being a film I'd, I'd you know, yeah, yeah. consider for my top ten. I, maybe because I watched it by myself. I didn't have the same experience. As yeah, I'm surprised it's, it's, it's as high as it is, to be honest, but when I was doing the list, that's just the way that's the way the the cookie crumbled. Yeah, no, it's good. Listen, you love what you love, you know? All right, well, my number 11 is a comedy. It's got a few years on uh, what we do in the shadows, however. Uh, it is from 1986, and it is Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Derp-o-po. <laughs> you know, 
I mean, really, of course, this is a film everyone loves. Uh, I do remember, and I think I mentioned this the first time we talked about Ferris Bueller, because we did go after the ending of it way back when. Yeah, in episode 28. Right. And I, I think I may have mentioned this, so forgive me for repeating myself, but it's been a couple of years. I'm allowed. I wanted <laughs> yeah. to be Ferris Bueller when I was a kid, and I still want to be Ferris Bueller as an adult. Yeah. I yeah. think a large part of my personality was shaped by Ferris Bueller. You know, I, I, w- I would not be afraid to sing in a parade or, you know do a number of things that Ferris Bueller did. And I think part of that is because I just wanted to be him so much when I was young. This is a movie had a real impact on me. And at the end of the day, it's just a, a great, hysterical, funny comedy. But it is one of those ones I've seen it dozens and dozens of times. And if it's on TV, I will sit and I will watch it and I will laugh and I will love it. And I will still go, gosh, he is the coolest character ever. <laughs> Ferris Bueller is the coolest guy in the world and I want to be him. So that's, <laughs> that's my number 11. Excellent. Yeah, I'm glad I made your list. It kept getting pushed off mine, so it didn't make it. But uh, yeah, I do, I do like the film. Uh, okay, my number 10. Uh, you just you mentioned it just before. It is the Back to the Future trilogy. Very nice. My, out of the three, my favorite one is the first one. It's such a close just, second for me, but I... Yeah, I, you yeah, know. yeah. I, I really enjoy all the films. And I, I, like, I like the fact it is a proper story. All three films tell one big story. Yes. I love the fact that the second one you know, ends up going back and you're seeing the events from the first film again. But it's the first one. It just it was told a time travel story and it told it so well. And it was like a breath of fresh air. I've seen it so many times. I've got no particular memory of the, any one time. I can't remember the first time I saw it. I'm sure it must have been on the cinema. Right, I'm the same way. It's just one of those films I've always loved. And it's just all become this big, big, lovely memory in my head every time I see it. But uh, Michael J. Fox just knocked it out the park. It was amazing. Actually, it's funny, as as we know, I, I just moved and I found, unfortunately, as I was packing up, I, I had a lot of stuff in my basement that unfortunately got uh, moldy and got ruined. I lost a lot of you know, books and stuff, mostly nothing too important. But I still had the official souvenir magazine from Back to the Future that came out back in oh, wow. 1985 yeah. or 1986, 1986, I think, that had a poster of Michael J. Fox sitting on the DeLorean that had thumbtack holes in it from when I had it hanging on my wall as a kid. And then the magazine was just like, you know, told the story, had some interviews, had a lot of photos, and it was it was worn I mean, that thing had been read <laughs> and loved for so many years, and I still had it, you know, 30 years later. And it fell victim to the the basement, unfortunately, which is which is my fault. But you know, anyway. But that's I mean, this is literally yeah, talking yeah. weeks ago. I found this magazine. That's how much I love these movies. That I, I held on to that all these years. <laughs> Excellent. So good, good pick. All right, my, my number ten is sort of my last official tie, um, which I'll explain later, and is between two horror films. One of which is the greatest horror film of all time one of which is the greatest science fiction horror film of all time. So I'm pretty sure you know what I'm talking about, Phil. Yes. They they are. I think I, I think I do. John Carpenter's The Thing and John Carpenter's Halloween. Oh, excellent, excellent. So again, different memories on these. You know, I watched The Thing when I was probably too young to, to watch it. I mean, maybe not. I was probably 12 or so. Uh, but a similar I, thing. I think where, that's probably too young to watch it. Yeah, it <laughs> probably is. But I watched a lot of science fiction stuff by that yeah, age, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I remember, again, I rented it from the video store. Did not know what to expect. You know, this is one of the nice things about growing up before the internet. I just knew it was oh, called yeah, The Thing, yeah. and it was kind of a science fiction film. And I was just I blown away by it. And I've seen this movie so many times over the years, and I never get tired of it. Um, Halloween, however, I did not grow up watching a lot of horror movies at all. Um, you know, when I was real young, especially my parents just did not let me. Um, and then as I grew up into becoming a teenager, I really just didn't have a lot of interest in them. And I'd seen very few of them until I was in my twenties. And a friend of mine at the time 
uh, was like, oh, you got to see Halloween. It's like, you know, it's it's the best. And I was like, yeah, sure, whatever. It was like right before Halloween. I was like, yeah, I'll watch a movie called Halloween at Halloween. Like, <laughs> you know, makes sense. And I just, I mean, I just instantly fell in love with it. And it is still to this day my my favorite Halloween or my favorite horror movie of all time. It's so economical. It's so great. So, you know, such a small body count and, and so no, like the action, uh, I can go on forever, but Michael Myers, creepy, fantastic. And uh, yeah, so John Carpenter, double feature at number 10. Excellent. I like it. Uh, okay. My number nine is two films. One is my favorite Coen Brothers film and one is my favorite Quentin Tarantino film. It is The Big Lebowski and Pulp Fiction. Jesus Christ, Big Lebowski. <laughs> you know, I should have thought that it was going to be on your list and it didn't even dawn on me. There you go. Yeah, Mike loves that. But we, uh, <sighs> we talked about The Big Lebowski way back in episode four, so go and listen to me being nervous yeah. <laughs> uh, talking about it. But I, I just, I, I, love, I love the film. Jeff Bridges just sitting watching it with the, my friends the first time he saw it and just, just, just going with the dude and just getting into his... Get into the zone with the dude, and then you know the dialogue, and I mean, it's it's it's. I can't understand why you don't love it, Mike, but I sort of can. I, I mean, uh, I had the exact same reaction as you, only completely different. Yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah, it's just one of those ones. And there's uh, one of my friends we call him the dude because you know he's he's got he had the, at certain points he has long hair and, and looks a bit like him and is very chilled out. Uh, but it's just one of those things. It just you know because the dude abides, and that's that's the reason why. Uh-huh. Uh, and also Pulp Fiction I remember going to see that with my dad because we've always gone and tried to see the uh, all the Quentin Tarantino films for some reason I ended up seeing them with my dad for Reservoir Dogs we, we, we liked that and talked about but Pulp Fiction was the one which was just like a shot of heroin yeah. uh, follow, followed by you know a shot of adrenaline to the heart but uh, I don't know what heroin's like or adrenaline so I'm just saying that <laughs> you, but, I've uh, never had an adrenaline rush in my yeah, life I, I wasn't doing drugs with my dad <laughs> Bit of popcorn, maybe, but that was right, it. Right. But uh, yeah, we watched uh, Pulp Fiction, and the two was just when it came out. We just we just talking about it because there's so many bits to talk about in the soundtrack, and just going, "Oh my god!" And the way it was structured, you know, the diff- there's just so many, so many cool, so many cool things about it. But so many brilliant things about it. Big Lebowski and Pulp Fiction are mine, number nine. And we also went after the ending of Pulp Fiction back in episode nine. Very good. Uh, I love one of those films. Yes, I know. All right. So my number, <laughs> my number nine. Will come Big Lebowski's as, brilliant. Uh, sure. My number nine will come as no surprise to anyone, least of all you, Phil, <laughs> because I know you're expecting this this film to be on my list. It is The Crow from 1994. Oh, no. That's yeah, that's a cool cool film. Not on my list, but a very cool film. Yeah. I And, you know, this is one of those ones that I, I love, I think, proportionately more than most other people do, although I think it has its, its diehard fans out there. Yeah. You know, and again, this is one of those ones, you know, I remember – you know, my mom was a big Bruce Lee fan when I was growing up and, and still is. And so when Brandon Lee started making movies, you know, she was a big fan and I got into him and we watched Rapid Fire together, which was his first like major theatrical release in the U.S. And I remember, you know, I was I was a teenager. I was working at the supermarket, like, you know, the local supermarket. And, uh, you know, I, I came home from work at like, you know, 10 o'clock, whatever. My mom was really yeah. sad. And, you know, she told me that Brandon Lee had died. And so... You know, the film took on an extra weight when it came out when they finally released it. And and I, you know, I had already loved the Crow comic book that it's based on. It's one of my favorite graphic novels of all time. And so I think the resonance of the movie. But, you know, all of that stuff aside, what really got it for me was just this, this story of true love and the way that they brought it to life in the middle of this really dark action thriller, you know, yeah. that could have just been a, a shoot 'em up bloody violent movie. And it has all that to it. But at its core, it's a love story. And as we know, I'm a sucker for love stories. And I fell in love with that movie. And 
you know, no surprise it was on my list. I didn't know where it was going to end up. I think this is about the right place for it. But boy, do I, I really love this movie. Yeah, well, it can't rain all the time, Mike. <laughs> As you always remind me whenever I bring up the yeah. film. But it's, yeah, we, we did, uh, I, I do like the film a lot. But it's, uh, we, took, we went after the ending with that back in episode 11. And we spoke to Rochelle Davis, who was in the film as well. So that's worth, well, all worth going back to. But that's a good episode to listen back to. Indeed. Okay. My number eight is Yojimbo, uh, Nikita Kurosawa film. Uh, I always was fascinated by Samurai the whole setup of it. And I always remember one of my friend, Pete, he was always talking, he was always into samurais and ninjas and things. And he talked about the uh, Seven Samurai and Yojimbo. And I eventually, uh, I didn't see them for a long time, but then uh, he had it on VHS and I went round to his one night. I think we'd been to the pub and then I went back to his because he, 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 I think he just got it or something. So we went back and he put it on me watching it, uh, having a few beers and things. And just, wow, it was amazing. Uh, great character. Uh, and I, I, I always remember he, uh, he didn't have much food in, but he had this like a, uh, like a, a cured sausage, cooked sausage and things, and he came he came out with that and a knife on a like a breadboard, and we were just like slicing off chunks of meat and then eating the meat and drinking beer, watching the film and just watching your yimbo, you know, kill people with a samurai sword, and it was a great time watching. Well, a great time getting more drunk and eating meat, right? <laughs> watching this watching this amazing movie. But it is it's, I watched it since many many times, and it's just oh, it's so brilliantly done it's just oh it's a it's a classic very good uh that's one i have to admit i I have not seen it still so i can't i can't comment on it well hopefully you'll enjoy it i hope so yeah when when you do see it all right well my number eight uh yeah maybe it was a little bit inspired by by that film who knows uh but it is from 1999 and it is the matrix uh, now, I'm not including the whole franchise on here, just the first one. <laughs> because why would you? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I like the sequels. I, I, do, I do like them in, in varying degrees, but they're not. Uh, the first film, though, yeah, yeah. what an experience that was. I, and, you know, and I remember, I, boy, I remember my experience with The Matrix so well. It came out on my birthday weekend. So it was like me and like 10 friends went to go see it in theaters on opening night. For, I mean, first of all, I was blown away by it. But second of all, at this point in time, my nickname was was Spoon. Uh, for many years, people <laughs> called me that. And there's a, you know, there's a line in the movie where the kid goes, there is no Spoon. And literally yeah. everyone in, in my entire row just turns and looks at me, you know, and I'm like, OK, you know, it, it would have been, been awesome if you'd gone the loo just before that bit came on. It would have blown people's minds. <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, so, so, you know, that was the first time I saw it. Then I went back and saw it the next weekend and then I went back and saw it the next weekend. Um, and I think that time there, by that point it was such a success. They, they put it on the IMAX screen and this was like the real IMAX screen, the, the really big one, which was mind blowing. And then I saw it two more times in theaters, uh, before it finished its run. It's one of the few films that I've seen five times in theaters. Uh, (laughs) the only ones I can think of off the top of my head are that and Terminator 2. Spoiler. Um, but, uh, so yeah, I mean, it's just, and of course the film, you know, it's just, it's mind blowingly awesome. So that's, that's an easy one, but I really do remember just the experience of enjoying this film when it came out and just, it was like nothing else we had seen at that point. So that's my number eight. Excellent choice. It didn't quite make my list got pushed down, but I think I'll, I'll mention it again. I'm sure I'll probably mention it, but I remember seeing that when I'd gone over to New York with my brother for a cousin's wedding. And me and my brother were jet lagged, but we went. We said, "We'll go see a film. We'll try and stay awake as long as we can." And we went to see The Matrix. Knew nothing, absolutely nothing about it. Went and sat there, watched it. We were like really tired, but you know, entranced by the film. And we're going, "That was amazing!" You know, all about reality and all this stuff. And we walked out, forgetting we were in New York City for a few seconds. And for a minute, I think the two of us just had a bit of panic, just going, "Oh my God, The Matrix is real!" And then we suddenly remember going, "No." <laughs> right, but no, a brilliant film, and it's. Uh, I've watched it again. I think this year, and it's still, it still holds up 
pretty damn good, I think. I think it does. The effects I, I, and things, I really yeah. think it does. Some of the effects look a little more dated than they did when it first yeah, came yeah. out, but I think as a whole, the movie really does hold up well. Uh, okay, my number seven is three films. Uh, it's They're not related, but it's a, be a damn good th- uh, you know three films to watch, but it's Predator, Robocop, and Halloween. Oh, nice. We went after the ending of Predator back in episode 50, uh, along with Aliens. Predator, great Arnie action film. I remember just being blown away by the fact, you know, was it those guys and then suddenly there's an alien uh me and all my friends were buzzing about it talking about it loving it again it's one of those i watched it again this year with a few friends on the big screen with the projector that i had at the time and just i just you just love it all the only one-liners and you know people are, it's one of those ones that's good to have seen loads of times and then you know you've with a group of people who all love it and you know you're talking about it riffing on it things like that uh robocop as well similar kind of thing but just i remember when i first saw that me and my brother just loved the film. And I remember afterwards for like like an idiot, I was trying to walk like Robocop did, you know, trying to figure out how uh, Peter Weller did that walk right. and trying to do it, moving his head. Uh, and then uh, Halloween, uh, just, wow. I'd, I'd heard about it, didn't see it till, for a long, long time. And then when I did, I was, I was like you were, just Michael Myers, just so scary, even though he's just a guy in a Captain Kirk mask. Right. Uh, that little head tilt he does. And also it always surprises me every time I see it that there's so little... So little gore, well, it's hardly any gore, yeah, yeah. and there's hardly any deaths. Right. But it just, you just, you just the whole time, you just, it's tense and just going, oh my god. Right. But there, those three films are my number seven. Well, my number seven, I just referenced a moment ago. It's 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 sort of a cross between a franchise and a tie because I'm only including half the franchise. So it is Terminator and Terminator Two. Nice, nice, nice. After that, you can. I, I like the rest of the films more than most people, even the the recent sequels. I, I enjoy. Um, but in terms yeah. of being at number seven on my top twenty of all time. It's Terminator and Terminator 2. And I can't decide between them. I never have been able to. They're such different films. You know, the first one is is a, a kind of suspense-driven action, you know, film. It's a very small, you know, three characters yeah, type yeah. of thing. The second one is so much bigger and, you know, it's got such great special effects. And it, they're, I love them both equally. And the first one was one of those, you know... I wanted to watch it when I remember my parents watching it one night on TV. Yeah. And I was too young to watch it still at that point. And they were like, no, you can't watch this. But a couple of years later, I was not too young to watch it. And I, I watched it and I just, you know, I just fell in love with it. And it was like, for the 1980s, that's a mind blowing film. And it's very technologically advanced in terms of its effects and everything. I mean, I think it still holds up and looks great, but at the time it was just like, oh my God, what am I watching? This is amazing. Yeah. So that's my number seven. Excellent choice. That didn't uh, didn't make my list, but uh, I do I do really like to enjoy the films. Okay, uh, my number six is a trilogy of films, but they are related. It tells one big story. It's The Lord of the Rings. Oh, very good. All three films, the extended version in particular, you know, right. are just, uh, just amazing. I always loved the books. I've read the books. I've read The Lord of the Rings many times. Uh, so when the film was coming out, I like, well, I like the animated version as well. Then when this was coming out, it was, I was hoping they made a good job with it, but I was uh, blown away with how good it was. And this year again, uh, I watched, again with my friend Pete, uh, we uh, we decided, we'd never done it before, we were going to watch all three films, the extended version, uh, in one day, in one sitting, and we did it. Wow. I had, a, I had the projector again on the screen, and we started about 11 uh, and we just watched it through till about 11 or midnight. Yeah. Um, it, just, it was amazing. It was sitting there watching it. It's, it's a hell of a commitment, but watching it all in one go, you suddenly realize, you, you see the journey they took. I mean, you know they're on a big journey, but you see the length of time it takes. It all sort of, you're suddenly referencing back to things from the first one while you're watching the second one because you've seen them. You, you, tru- you truly get the sense of this journey of going, you know, here and back again. Right. That's my number six. Excellent. And if my good friend Rich is listening to this, 
He'll now be going, oh, get lost because he hates Lord of the Rings. <laughs> uh, excellent choice. I didn't I didn't include those in my in my list. Um, I do love them. I just didn't, you know, not that high. Just all right, my number goes, six is largely considered so one of the greatest films so of all time. Films. It is the first blockbuster film, uh, or considered the first summer blockbuster, I should say. It is Steven Spielberg's masterpiece, Jaws. And mm, Very good, very good. Yeah, I mean, it's... Yeah. I mean, it's Jaws. You know, again, my first memory of Jaws was my parents watching it on TV when I was really young. And I snuck downstairs to the top of the stairs to watch a little bit of it because I knew it had a shark in it. And I was obsessed with sharks. And they caught me and sent me back to bed, which is probably a good thing because I scare easily. And I probably would have been, you know, just a complete mess if I had seen it back then. But I watched that movie, uh, you know, somewhere in my between teen years, I'm sure. And of course, fell in love with it like so many people do. And this was the thing I remember the most about Jaws is, is I don't remember yeah. the first time I watched it, but I do remember that it's the first film that I say is like one of those films that stops me, which is what I mean by that is if I'm flipping through channels or I'm at someone's house or I'm doing whatever and Jaws is on, it doesn't matter what part of the movie it's at. I will stop whatever I'm doing and I will sit down and I will watch it until it ends. And that's the first movie yeah. uh, for years. It's been that way. I mean, we're talking back to the days when, you know, there's only 35 channels and commercials every five minutes and whatever. There's no streaming or whatever. If it was on TV or whatever, I was watching it, you know, and I've seen it so many times, although I've seen the last half probably more times than the first half because, <laughs> because that's what tends to happen a lot. Um, but yeah, that's Jaws. I mean, it's it's obviously it's a classic. Yeah, good good pick. Okay, we're into the top five. Yeah, top huh? five. This is going to be... We're, we're almost there. You've almost made it, listener. Yeah, we know this is a long one, but, you know, yeah. listen, we got we got important films to talk about here, so... Strap in, we're almost done. Yeah, my number five is uh, an awful lot of films, but it's mainly it's mainly from the one this year. It's Avengers Infinity War and the Marvel Cinematic Universe. In particular, as well as Infinity War, Winter Soldier, Civil War, Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, the first Iron Man, Thor Ragnarok. Well, pretty much all of them because I just, I've always been a huge comic book fan. And the fact Marvel did this thing, starting with Iron Man, and it's just, it's it's gone through 10 years and it's culminated in Avengers Infinity War and it's still going on. It's just... It's a hell of an achievement, but it's also the fact that it's just been it's just been so well done. And Avengers Infinity War tying up all these these characters who've been introduced and all these plot threads just blew me away the way they did it. And I was just being a huge comic book fan, it just made me so happy to see these things done so well. Yeah, so I went to see Avengers Infinity War with my daughter uh, because she's loved watching all the Marvel films. It's become a tradition for us to go see them all. I've got lots of happy memories of going to see these different films with her. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, as I remember being offended when uh, one of them swore, <laughs> but then she was uh, she was laughing, I think. But uh, it still blows my mind that you're seeing these characters that I've always read in comics and always loved, seeing them on the big screen. And I just love it. I'm just like a huge geeky nerdy fanboy when those uh when i see these films and then my 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 number five and in particular avengers infinity war because how they managed to have all that thing in and still make a, a decent well make a really good film was just brilliant absolutely very good pick all right well, my number five has appeared on your list we haven't had a lot of overlap so far but it is mm-hmm. predator oh lovely lovely you know when i mentioned elf earlier i said that there's no other movie on this list that i watch at least once a year although I may have lied. I would say I probably end up watching Predator at least once a year, uh, which is why I ended up so high on my list because no. <laughs> I I watch this movie all the time. I, I'm obsessed with the Predator films. I love all of them for the most part, um, even the, the quote bad ones. Uh, but this first one, it's if it's on TV, I watch it. Even if it's not on TV, I'll watch it. I watched it again just a couple months ago to get ready for the new Predator movie that came out. I just I watch this movie constantly and I never – 
ever get tired of it. Yeah, it's it's great, isn't it? Yeah, so it was. It, I knew it was going to be on my list. I didn't know how high it was going to be on the list, but when I started again, started to look at which movies do I watch the most often. You know, this one this one just came in really high. I watch it all the time, and I love it every time I watch it. Lovely. Okay, my number four is uh, another trilogy. It's the Star, well, the original Star Wars trilogy, but in particular, The Empire Strikes Back. Uh, lots of us will have many fond memories of these films growing up. Just the magic of it all. You know, everybody. You know, we've all we've all pretended to have a lightsaber and done. You know, that was a crap sound effect. <laughs> I think it was very Phil like, actually. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but just yeah, it's just. I always wanted to be Han Solo. You know, when you're, when you're playing Star Wars in the schoolyard. In the schoolyard. Uh, I don't think I ever was Han Solo though. I was always Han Solo. Well, in my mind, I was always Han Solo. <laughs> but I think probably everybody else saw me as Greedo. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, yeah, it's just amazing. I mean, I've mentioned before as well. Re- couple of years ago I went to take my daughter because she loves Star Wars films as well and we always go see the new ones and took it to see Secret Cinema when they did the Empire Strikes Back and so we were living the you know the story of a new hope which is mind-blowing but the Star Wars the original trilogy it's just just amazing it really is it does take you to another galaxy it's it's movie magic very good all right well my number four as I sit here recording in my little office recording setup I look over to my left and about six feet away there's a like a replica about a foot and a half tall of Nakatomi Plaza. Oh, brilliant. It was from a box set and it is the box set is the entire collection but I'm going to focus on just the one movie. It is of course Die Hard. Hands down it's the greatest action movie of all time. Two things I'll say about Die Hard real quick. First of all, one of my best memories of it is when I was a kid, I went to the video store because we had those back then and they had those all those giant cardboard cutouts. And they would let you take them home after they were done with them. So I got the diehard cutout, which was probably about six foot by like five foot, probably taller than that even. And it had like the Nakatomi Tower, like uh, like a 3D cardboard kind of cutout and it had a giant Bruce Willis face. And I somehow talked my parents to let me have it. And I had it in my room for years, <laughs> just this giant stand up of diehard. Uh, and I loved that thing. Man. It was the coolest room decoration ever. But I'll say this. I just went and watched Die Hard in theaters for the first time, actually, because when it came out, I didn't see it in theaters. I watched it in theaters for the first time, like maybe two or three weeks ago for the 30th anniversary of it. And I've seen this movie 50 times, probably, maybe more. Who knows? And it was like watching it for the first time. I, I, oh, I loved it so much. And, it, and I even though I've seen it so many times, there's still so many things that I forget about or things that I just don't focus on remembering because I, I like to watch it so many times because I it's like watching it for the first time every time I watch it. That's how good of a film it is. And, you know, watching it on the big screen, I was struck by just what a perfect movie it is. I mean, it, it is flawless on every level, in my opinion. Uh, it, like I said, hands down the best action film, pure action film of all time. Uh, that's an excellent. I'm glad it made your list. I wanted it to make my list, but it just didn't quite make it. Yeah, understandable. I, I get that. I, you know, and the sequels are a series of diminishing returns, but that first one to me is literally a perfect movie. Oh, brilliant though. No, it is. It's great. And it's a brilliant Christmas movie. Despite what you know, Bruce Willis. It is said. not a Christmas I'm movie. We're not even getting into that right now. We'll do a bonus episode it, about. It's not. A, it's, it's, not a it's not. It's not a Christmas movie. It's, Stop. It's Stop. A Make fists with your it's toes. It's not a Christmas. I'm making fists with my hands right now because you're annoying <sighs> me. It's not a Christmas movie. Anyway, moving on. What's, the, what's, what's, your, the, what's that? The opening track. What's your number Christmas three? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You know what else is set at Christmas? First Blood. First Blood is set at Christmas time. There's Christmas decorations all over the police station. Is that a Christmas movie? Yeah, it's one of the classic Christmas yeah, movies. Yeah, go to hell. <laughs> but it's funny enough, speaking of classic Christmas movies, my number three 
is two films uh, which both involve James Stewart. Oh, okay. Well, I can guess what one of them is. Yes, my number three is It's a Wonderful Life and Rear Window. Ah, excellent. Both film, two films which I watch over and over again and never, ever get tired of. Uh, it's a Wonderful Life always makes me cry. Oh, God, like a baby. Every time. Uh, it's just, I've one of the, it's one of those ones you've seen before watching the Elf with your kids. Uh, I remember what being a kid watching this with my, my parents because they both love it and then growing up still watching it with them. Uh, and just for a film which is so bleak and depressing at points, it's amazing how wonderful it is. Yeah. Uh, it's like one of those ones, lightning struck, and it's just whew, great cast, great story, done so well. And oh my God, so many lovely, lovely memories watching that film. It's often, it's one of those ones as well with people who think, oh, I'm, I've seen that loads of times, and then you, they, they don't, they really. When they do sit down and watch it, they realise they've they haven't sat down and watched the whole thing yep. in a in a long in a long time or if ever. Uh, absolutely, yeah. We watch that one about every other year now, and I, I, I it almost yeah. made my list actually. And the other one is a Hitchcock film. I thought there'd be more Hitchcock films on mine, but obviously not. But uh, Rear Window, because again, James Stewart. I remember sitting watching this by myself and just you know smiling the whole time. Just this 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 huge set. I just go in the things you can do when you're making a film. You have all these hundreds of people coming together to make this, to build a, build apartments and a courtyard and a studio to make the story of a guy who's perving at his next door neighbor. Oh, he's not perving, but peeping Tom, basically looking at different people and things going on. Just all these people came together to make this film and it's just brilliant and it's tense and it's funny. And it's just, oh, it's just some of these things just make you realize how, how amazing making films are excellent all right well my number three is a trilogy um no no surprise there necessarily it is the man with the hat indiana jones the indiana jones trilogy excellent Excellent. Uh, my favorite you'll notice i also i said trilogy because there's three indiana jones films yeah yeah there's 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 only bit there'll always only ever be three indiana jones films. that's right um my favorite is actually indiana jones on the last crusade uh, because it was the last Indiana Jones film, but also because it's it's just my favorite. I, I, you know, I, Sean Connery added another d- dimension to that film, and the humor in that film, Junior, yeah, exactly. the The humor in that film is so spot on, and you know, th- those movies always had a lot of humor in them. But but you know, you could make the case that Last Crusade is almost an action comedy. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. I love that about it. You know, and these are ones I don't know that I have any particular memories. Just the, the fact that every time I saw one, that instantly rocketed to the top of my favorite movies list, and I was upset every time a new Indiana Jones movie came out. I mean, I I had the the magazines, and you know, like I bought like coloring books when I was like middle school because they were Indiana Jones. You know, back then they didn't merchandise stuff like they do now, so it was like anything I could get my hands on that Indiana Jones. I had I had the cassette of the soundtrack, and I even listened to soundtracks. You know, like they're a piece of my childhood that will never go away. And again, especially if Last Crusade say it is on tv you better believe i'm watching it i i love that yeah, movie so yeah. much so that's my number three brilliant okay my number two uh is raiders of the lost ark and jaws all right a spielberg you know, double almost, feature almost matched up there but uh yeah but i'd still uh the, La- the last crusade as well is uh, i'll give a shout out to that because that's that is an excellent one it's 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 an awful lot of fun it just but the raiders raiders of the lost ark well all the indiana jones films they just get to put the whole pulp feel i always i always love pulp right those you know the novels and the, the characters from them and the, the sense of adventure the large and life hero in my main memory though with raiders lost ark is sitting there watching it with it was on tv one weekend and my grandma just she'd not seen it but she's we sat and watched it with her and she was just laughing her head off at uh it's all you know the, the funny little bits that were going on in it she just she looked and every time there was like a bit you know close call she was going oh, oh and then more laughter and things like that just 
it was a joyous experience watching it. And Jaws, it's just, like you say, it's one of those ones, whenever it's on, you just can't help but watch it all. And I've seen it so many times because of that. And sometimes when it comes on, you just have to go out or you've got other plans. You go, well, I'll just, I'll just watch 10 minutes. And then suddenly you're at the end of the film. Yeah, Raiders Lost Ark and Jaws. Well, what brilliant movies. Right. That's my number two. Very good. All right, well, my number two just appeared on your list not that long ago. I was a little surprised at actually where it landed on your list, but I understand your, your rationale to an extent. It is another trilogy, of course. It is the Star Wars trilogy. Yes. No big surprise to anybody who listens to the show. Um, you know, I, I've told the story a few times already. My my favorite memory of Empire Strikes Back is when, at the, during the lightsaber battle, Darth Vader you know, jumps out of the shadows and scared my sister who then jerked her hand and spilled her soda all <laughs> over my dad's lap. So he had to leave the theater and missed the whole reveal that Darth Vader is, spoiler alert, uh, is Luke's father. Um, you know, I'll just, I'll never forget that. But, uh, you know, I mean, they're the Star Wars films. I, I grew up with them. I, I don't, I literally don't remember a time in my life when I didn't love Star Wars and I don't know. Yeah, yeah, the only yeah. reason they're not number one is because, almost because of their trilogy in a way, because I have one single film that I consider my favorite film of all time, which we'll be getting to in a minute, but the Star Wars films are, are just like, they're an experience. Yeah, yeah. That's that's all I need to say. Yeah, that's it, Star Wars. But uh, for those of you who want to know what we thought happened after the ending of Return of the Jedi, we did actually do that back in episode 41. That was a lot of fun, actually. We sort of tied it them was, into The Force Awakens at the time. So, all right. So this is it. This is it. Yes, here we go. This is it. For long-time listeners, this will be no surprise. Yeah, I was going to say, for both of us, you know, for, for newer listeners, this hopefully will be a surprise. For, for long-time listeners, I think, you know, these... Our two number one films will not be a surprise. And I think we we even talked about leaving them out and kind of mentioning them early on and kind of having a moratorium on them because everyone's going to know they're our number one films. But at the end of the day, you got to put your favorite film at number one. Yeah, so, favorite film. So my number one is John Carpenter's The Thing. Very good. That scary, crazy, depressing, taut, horror thriller. Uh, all those things. I saw it, like you, I saw it when I was much too young to see it. And I'm flicking through the TV channels late one night and turned, you know, suddenly there's a dog in this cage in an Antarctic research station. I missed it for the opening bit. And there's this dog there and all the other dogs were scared. I was going, hello, what's going on? Oh my God, what's going on? Ah!" (laughs) Uh, And it really messed me up for, uh, you know, a while. I had nightmares for a while, uh, but it stuck with me. And I kept going, but but what? Because I I think I didn't think I watched much more after the dog bit. And I was going, well, what what the hell happened after that? Why, Why did the dog split open and then eat the other dogs? What was going on? Uh, and kept. I started reading, you know, when I got my movie magazines or some books and things, I'd, I'd, I found out a bit more about it and was going, oh, okay, so, oh, oh, that sounds interesting. And then eventually I saw it again, watched it all, and again I was still, you know, the the, the effects shook me, you know, the head, the head pull, you know, walks away and all that stuff. Just, I was, I was sickened and horrified by it, but also thrilled by it and just, you know, these, these poor guys who were just, they're scientists just trying to work out what was going on. Suddenly they this this nightmare, this, this Lovecraftian nightmare thing was just, they didn't know who to trust, the paranoia. And just since then, every time I watch it, you just pick up more and more and you just feel this sense of dread and foreboding. And it's just, it sh- it's not, it shouldn't be one of those films you want to watch all the time, but it this it is because it's just so well done. It's just these, these few guys stuck and they're just trying to do the best they can, uh, not knowing anything about it. But also once, once they realize what is actually happening, they want to save the world. And I just, it's just such a good film. It's such a good film. And I just, I love it to bits. That's it. The thing is the best film in my mind of all time. I can't argue. I mean, I, I love the film. Obviously it didn't come in number one for me, but uh, you know, I, I love it. So good, good choice. Thank you very much. 
All right. Well, my number one then again, no big surprise for anyone who's listened to the show, but it is Casablanca. Of all the podcasts in all the world. <laughs> you know, this is a, it's one of those films too. I, I know I watched it at some point when I was really young, when I was first getting into classic Hollywood movies. I don't remember a single thing about watching it then. Uh, when I watched it again, probably 10, 15 years ago, it was like watching it for the first time. And what's interesting is, you know, my, my dad, who's no longer with us, uh, considered Casablanca his favorite film, to my knowledge. My dad wasn't really yeah. a big film buff. He, you know, he watched movies, but he just, you know, he watched once, that was the end of it, never thought about him again. The only movie I remember him ever saying was his favorite was Casablanca. I never had the experience of watching it with him. I don't have a connection to him through this movie. Yeah. It is not my favorite movie because it was his favorite movie. But I do like the fact that because of what a great movie it is, the fact that it's my favorite movie and it was his favorite movie. My dad was older, so he grew up when he was, you know, he probably saw this movie in theaters or maybe maybe not quite, <laughs> but, uh, you know, he, he could have. And so I think it's interesting that two different, completely different generations can have the same opinion of this film, that it's the greatest film of all time. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, like I said, I didn't see it for the first time until much more recently, you know, like 10, you know, 10 or so years ago. Uh, and I just fell in love with it. And I fell in love with it on the merits of the movie itself. Um, and, I, you know, I've, I've said it before. I've said it again. It's not the film that people think it is. You know, people expect it to be this kind of dry, dusty, boring, old black and white romance. And it's anything but that. It is, you know, barely a romance. <laughs> I <laughs> yeah, mean, yeah. there is romance in it. But it's got so much humor and suspense. And it's, it's just utterly fantastic. It is, to, to my mind, it is the most perfect film ever created and it is wonderful and delightful and I think people of any age can appreciate it if they'll just watch it. So if you haven't watched it yet, I know a lot of you haven't, give it a try. Do me a personal favor and watch Casablanca. And it might not be your number one movie of all time, but I think you'll at least have a really great time watching it. Well said, well said. Thank you. All right, now that was a lot of episodes. So we're going to wrap this up. That was our top 20 films of all time. Uh, we hope you enjoyed our picks. Yes, yes, that was a. Uh, it was fun going through that, and it brought back lots of happy memories. Indeed, it did. Way less overlap than I expected, though. To be honest with you, yes, I mean, good, yeah, I was you know, surprised as well. A solid handful yeah. of films, but not. It wasn't like the same two lists. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. All right. So before we go, though, we're gonna. Uh, preview our final episode of the year, which will be coming out next week. So, Phil, tell people what we've got in store for them then. Okay, so the next episode, because it's that time of year, we're going to be doing our annual Christmas episode, How the Year Has Flown. We're going to be doing our top 10 Christmas films of the 2000s, so there should hopefully be some good ones to choose there. And we'll also be doing, we'll also be going after the ending of How the Grinch Stole Christmas, the Jim Carrey version. Yes, indeed. So we're going to help spread some holiday cheer. Uh, and that's going to be our, our last episode for the year. Uh, like we did last year, we're going to take a break for a couple of weeks. Um, we're not going to air any mini episodes. Give us a chance to recharge our batteries uh, and let people who are behind on episodes catch up over the holidays. Uh, and then when we come back in the new year, we are going to launch our new version of 100 Years of Hollywood in 100 Episodes. Because now that we've gone through all 100 years, what are we going to do? Well, don't worry. We have a plan. We know exactly what we're going to do for the next 100 episodes. So if you want to find out what that is, you're going to have to stick with us through the new year. Uh, but in the meantime, we hope you enjoyed this double-sized 100th episode extravaganza. We had a lot of fun putting it together. I can't believe we've done 100, 100 years of Hollywood and we've, we've made it to the end. Yeah. We've got these, this amazing list of films and so many more which could have made the list but didn't. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed the list. I hope you've enjoyed the show. If you want to get in touch, you can. there's many different ways and you know how to do it. Uh, just let us know 
what you thought of the list. Get in touch whenever you can, and we'll speak to you next time. Yeah, so as always, we thank you greatly for listening, and we thank you doubly for listening to this episode. And We know it was a little longer than usual, but hopefully you enjoyed the heck out of it, and it was worth it. Until next time, I'm Mike Spring. And I'm Phil Edwards. And we'll see you next week. After the ending. Well, I'm glad we could, you know, waste 20 minutes on what is sure <laughs> to be a long night already. Yeah. Thanks to the internet and technology. Power of the internet. Oh, and there's something floating in my drink. Terrific. <laughs> it's going to be one for the ages, Phil. Yeah, we've got all the problems out the way now, so it's the rest of it's going to be a breeze. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. What could go wrong? <laughs> oh, my God, I've lost all my lists. I'm a bit of paper. They've suddenly just wiped themselves. <laughs> You're not funny. <laughs> Um, side note, it took everything I had not to interrupt you when he said he bonded with a dragon because all I can picture is like Sam Worthington like <laughs> leaning on a dragon, like passing a joint back and forth and the dragon's all like, I don't know, man. It's like sometimes I feel like my mom just doesn't understand me, you know? Like she wants me to like, you know, fly and like eat like people, but I don't want to eat people, man. I'm a vegetarian. Yeah, and I want to play with you know? all these other flying guys, but every time I turn up, they all run away. What is it? Is it my breath? <laughs> Right. And Sam Worthington's like, man, I know, I got no legs, you know? And like, they're just like a buddy comedy, like a boy and his dragon. Like, that's what pops into my head. <laughs> well, he's a, he's going to go, he's going to go visit the folks at Recall and uh, they're going to help him. No, I'm uh, Okay. Just a, never mind. Hmm. No, very good. That, very that good. Land, I mean, that landed like a, like a flat pancake. No, well, I didn't know because I, I was wondering whether recall was going to crop yeah, up. Yeah, no, they're not. Anything. So I guess that makes sense. I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have yeah. said that. So, okay. Anyway. I didn't want to spoil anything. No, I appreciate that. So I just set up my own bad jokes. Good <laughs> 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 cool. All right. Well, Phil, do you have any trivia for us? I thought you said trivia. Okay, let's see. Where are we? Yeah, I want to know about Abbott and Costello. Yeah. What, I hope okay, you've prepared well. <laughs> several pieces of trivia about the greatest comedy duo of all time, because if not, I'll be severely disappointed. <laughs> Where's the trivia page? Where's the trivia? Oh, got it, got it, got it. Okay. <laughs> you're like, you're like uh, Costello was the short, fat one, <laughs> and <laughs> Abbott was the tall, skinny one. <laughs> Probably my top 100. Don't think it would make my top 20. Well, no, I know it wouldn't make my top 20. I don't think it would make my top 20, because it's not in my top 20. So, <laughs> duh. I'll just do that all again. What the hell? This Western doesn't have any spaghetti in it. They lied yeah, to me. Yeah, that was the main disappointment. I was going, what's, you know? I expected pasta everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> Where do they even get pasta in the Old West? <laughs> My favorite of the three is number two. Always has, not number two. That sounds like I'm talking about number two, going like going number two. <laughs> Something's just happened to the computer. Great. That's what I want no, to hear. No, it's just, it's, it's something coming up on the on the spreadsheet it seems to have Make just turned sentient and come to life but i think i can get work around it well it's, it's asking me if i want to play a game <laughs> <laughs> yeah.